Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome to another week of Pandemic Radio, but unlike every other week we've done, it is friggin' beautiful outside. Nice little breeze. The sun is out. I take a look out the office window, and I can see the mountains. The mountains look beautiful right now. Roll back on my chair a little bit. The river looks blue. It's looking outstanding right now. I'm uh, the uh, the weather has upped my spirits a little bit. I am coming off a nice weekend. I enjoyed myself this weekend. Didn't do anything. Uh, it's not like it's <laughs> any different than any other weekend. But uh, just to, to be able to go outside and go for runs when it's nice out and walks when it's nice out, and uh, just to be able to sit out on my deck last night and not have to bring six blankets out. I'm uh, feeling a little bit better about that. So. Um, you know what? We have no idea what the outlook of this COVID-19 thing is uh, is really telling us. We have no idea when we're going to be out of this thing as a country, as a city, as a province. But I do know it's nice outside, and I do know that being out and about yesterday outside, people were doing a good job of physically distancing for the most part. You get the the knobs every here and uh, every every you know. 10 or 20 people or something like that but for the most part the vast majority of people are physically distancing and still taking this thing seriously but making sure that everybody can enjoy the beautiful weather outside and enjoy it safely so i'm feeling good heading into a new week how we doing boys excellent really good um yeah the, the, that's a heavy flex out of the gate mountain view condo Beltline, patty wow mountain view holy didn't realize that like there's before the mountains, there's a crane that's currently moving right now. Uh, the crane's arm is currently moving to the uh, east, uh, so that mm. is right in front of my mountain view. But okay. I do, uh, I can see the Rocky Mountains out my uh, out my office window. Yeah, was it just me or was everyone in Calgary outside yesterday? That that was the great release. We talked about it last week, which was crazy. That the record all-time consecutive days without hitting 20 degrees were like within a week of. And I think it was like back into the 1930s when there was, yeah, I think it was 219 days in a row where they didn't reach 20 degrees. And we've gone basically since early October, still haven't hit 20, uh, 16 out of an hour ago when I checked. So we're getting close to ending that miserable run, but I'll take this right now. We've been biking like crazy sidewalk chalk this morning with the boys. Uh, I've been getting my runs in feeling very good about my running three a week. I've, I've got a perfect 5k run. I've got it measured down to like the meter so I can actually start looking at my times and trying to figure out what's going on. And, uh, I'm happy. This is good. This is better than uh, minus five and a foot of snow, Patty way better. Yep. It's, uh, it's good. So that is positive. What do we get up to over the weekend? What, uh, what went down? Tell us about, uh, logo. You go first. Did you, uh, Logan Gordon, Ryan Pinder, Pat Steinberg, Pinder and Steinberg underway on this Monday afternoon. It's uh what day, where are we Pinder day 30? What day 40 of the sports apocalypse. Pat, thanks for asking. Yeah. 37 was yeah, Friday. It's also, Today is also March 51st, uh, as uh, all the lights right? are blending okay. together. So today is March 51st. Um, it's also, that like stuff's March. legal nowadays because it's uh, 420. I know it is some April people out there. As well, 420. Just a shout out to what, Jason uh, DeForest, working from home. Working from home. What <laughs> uh, what happened for Logan this weekend? What would you get up to, buddy? 
Uh, not a whole lot, as you can expect, with pandemic stuff going on. But we, uh, me and my friends, managed to do a uh, virtual beer pong tournament with uh, house parties. So everybody set up uh, tables, and so you got your camera angle right, so you can play beer pong against each other. And so a bunch of us did that on Saturday night. So that was pretty cool. That killed some time, and uh, our weekend video chats continue to. Uh, progress as we find new ideas to uh socially distance ourselves but still remain a group of friends but uh other than that just some netflix and uh hanging with the parents i like it i uh got a game night in on friday we had uh, the the co-isolation with my sister's family we we've got a game called anomia which we'd never played before it's like two card decks and it's like topics and you're depending on what shape you have on your card if you match oh, up with yeah, someone, you have to top, race to complete one. the topic. Yeah, so basically, enjoy it. it's drinking and yelling and blurting out answers before you can really think. So it's basically back to original Pinder skill set. This is what we're best at. Yelling, blurting things out before we think, and drinking heavily. So it was perfect wheelhouse for the Pinder family. I like it. Uh, Any what yeah. uh, what you get done on Netflix? How, where are we on Ozark? Okay, so... We, uh, I don't want to spoil anything. So I think we're around season four or episode four or five in season two. So we're moving along, uh, slowly, but surely my wife has fallen asleep. And I think half of the 15 episodes we've seen so far. So that's really stalling our progress. We have to rewatch half an episode and hope she doesn't fall asleep in the full original episode. We're going to watch, but okay. Such is life. And then uh, star Wars. We have 30 minutes left in episode three. Which I've preferred to one and two, which I thought were rather horrible. Um, yeah, you know, they, they really are. Before You're not five wrong. And, six. and and give maybe it's just because one and two were so bad that three feels good. Maybe if three was the first after Three's the original good. three, we would hate it too. But it's better than one and two. I can safely say, and I recall in my notes you noting that three was uh, the best of the prequels. If I'm correct. It's, it's no doubt the best of the prequels, and it's the only one that I felt that uh, truly gave you the star wars feel you know you get to mm. because the thing about three is i i still think it's a little too campy for my liking but the thing about three is you got to see the transformation of anakin skywalker into darth vader and and that mm. was pretty cool you uh got to see how he how and why he turned you, you got to see how palpatine really turned into the emperor all those types of things i at the very least it fit into star wars lore i mean the other ones yeah in in episode two you got to see young boba fett and you got to see uh, a little That's bit right. about how the clone wars started but it was still i don't know it was so it was so campy the love story with Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman is so vomit worthy. And the first one is just <laughs> dumb. The pod rate, like that yeah. just might as well be a children's movie. So yeah. Jar Jar Binks. Episode yeah. one's got Jar Jar Binks and, and the kid Anakin Skywalker. And ugh, it's just don't even bother. But yeah, at least episode three had a little bit of meat to it that led you into Rogue One and then led you into the uh, original three. You, you should watch Rogue One before you go on to the sequels. You guys should watch oh, really? Rogue One next. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting because the previews for Rogue One looked really good. We've been watching the trailers. We try to stop a movie halfway through and the boys lose their mind. So it's like you have to like wean them off the the uh, Disney Plus with, okay, we'll show you a couple trailers of what's going to come up the next time we sit down and watch. So, um, yeah, that's that's a good call. I could watch Rogue One before 7. Uh, my one kid is absolutely fired up for BB-8. He's only seen them in the trailers. 
but the the BBA the drone with the ball and the little hat on top that always stays upright. Like he's just seen him twice and he's like, Dad, BB-8, BB-8, BB-8. Dad, what about BB-8? Can we draw a BB-8? When do we see BB-8? Does three have BB-8? When's BB-8? Seven? Seven for BB-8? Let's watch seven up. Dad, BB-8, BB-8, BB-8. So if I can hold him off, we'll get Rogue One in. But it's uh, not as easy as it sounds. BB-8. Um, I got a few. I'm in this season three now of Ozark. Um, oh, and it just it's so good. To get more and more bonkers. So season three has been outstanding so far. Uh, I really decided to delve into Instagram this weekend. Um, I, I saw I, that I had, unfortunate development. I had officially joined, but then I was, oh, I'll, I'll give it a try. It's it's uh, 2020, Rye. I'm I'm under 40. I should be on Instagram. If you're trying to build some sort of brand for yourself, you should mm. be on Instagram. Twitter. The only people yeah. who are on Twitter are media people and employees for Twitter. I've been told, um, which is obviously not <laughs> true. But Instagram is the uh, the far more hip and with it place to be. Yes, it is. So I'm learning yeah. about Instagram. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm I'm still going to attempt, although you are resisting me. I'm going to attempt to get our show simulcast on ig live we'll see if that happens uh if you continue to resist then it won't but uh i will i will continue to try and push you for that uh and uh i also uh did my first shift at the grocery store i uh oh it actually was i it actually was i won't tell you where i am or or anything like that because you know don't want to you know don't want to conflicts of interest or anything like that but there's uh, already I'll... huge pressures on grocery stores we don't need people looking for pat to sign stuff and cues for our signatures to bog right. down yes, the already the crucial frontline I'm on... workers i'm working but I'm working I, I appreciate that I'm working when there's nobody in the store. Uh, although on uh, Saturday I, wa- I was working during store hours. But uh, this is why I was so stoked to do it because I actually feel like I'm helping. Um, yes. I actually feel like I'm, I'm giving back during a time when uh, I was filling out grocery orders for people. Like people who can't, nice. uh, who can't get to the grocery store. Uh, I, was filling out, uh, I was filling out grocery orders. And I got like 20,000 oh, steps in. So I was, uh, I was quite uh, twenty thousand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did like seven hours. Ooh. It flies by. You just have a big cart. You go around and you start loading different things. You got a little scanner. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, and I actually left. Like, I'm not a healthcare worker. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. Um, I'm not a truck driver. I'm not a police officer. I'm not a firefighter. I'm not a paramedic. You know, there's there's only certain things that I can actually do to help uh, give back to our uh, society and economy during a uh, during a pandemic. And one of those ways, mm-hmm. I can read. I can find my way around a grocery store, and I can mm-hmm. fill somebody who is sick and who is unable to get to a grocery store, I can fill out their grocery store order. So I, uh, I actually quite enjoyed myself on Saturday. I've got a couple of shifts this week. I'm proud of you. That's an incredible weekend. You've, you've, uh, you're helping, you're in the trenches, and I imagine you're probably almost Insta-famous with the new social media handle. What's the follower count at? What do we know about overlap Twitter to Instagram? What, are we, what have we seen for, for early traction for uh, Pat Steinberg who breaks news on the right. flames? I, I'm doing all right. I'm going to tell you. I don't know what I, I haven't checked yet. Uh, I, like I, I, I'm getting notifications that people are following me. So I'm uh, I, at 195 followers on Instagram. So that's no, know. we need to triple that immediately. Let's go. Let's go before the end of the show. It's got to be at 500. Come on, people. Instagram. What's your handle? Let's go. It's a very uh, it's Steinberg 1984, which is my last name and my birth year. Uh, now, do you have your mother's maiden name? I'd like you to add that to the name to this to your handle if that's possible. 
Um, Maybe not. Nope. Don't tell I us did, what institution you bank until at. Until I was okay. about, yeah, all the other all the other potential security <laughs> questions. Uh, now, what your was your grade one name? teacher's last name? What was your favorite class in elementary school? What was what your was first, your first make of car? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's put all that in your handle. Okay. All right. Um, but yes, uh, Steinberg 1984 is, uh, the, okay. by the way, I did, if you want to continue to try and crack my passwords, no, I won't tell you my mom's mm. name, probably won't. No, don't. Um, don't. so that was my, uh, that was my weekend. Hopefully you're all staying safe. Hopefully everything is going well for you. And, uh, hopefully we continue to move forward in our fight against this thing. And, uh, we can be talking about starting to gradually get back to something more like normal here in the next number of weeks that's uh, that's what the hope is but i will say tip of the hat to everybody i saw out yesterday because uh the, the physical distancing while being outside most people the vast majority like 95 98 99 percent of people were taking it seriously because we all want to be outside we all want to be able to enjoy but we also don't want to set this thing back so uh good on you and i do want to say that tonight at seven o'clock i'll, I'll tell you this much living mm-hmm. downtown uh the the daily salute at seven o'clock is getting louder and louder good um, so I hear it every day. I've uh, started to uh, get involved when I've had the opportunity getting out on my deck. Uh, every day, 7 o'clock, we want to uh, we want to salute our frontline workers, our healthcare workers, the essential workers who are helping getting us through our daily lives. So every night at 7 o'clock, we're encouraging people to get out on their back balconies or back decks, front stoop, whatever, and uh, start making some noise. If you know an essential worker from Calgary who is keeping this city going, keeping people people alive, keeping the economy rolling, keeping us safe, uh, text the word SALUTE plus your nominee's name and job to 960-960. Once again, text the word SALUTE plus your nominee's name and job to 960-960. Each week, one lucky person is going to be selected to win an amazing prize pack from Wild Rose Brewery. Wild Rose is sticking with us even during the pandemic. Thank you to them for everybody who has stuck with us during uh, this pandemic. Look, it's radio. We need advertisers to be able to have a radio station, and uh, I know that it's tough times, and not every uh, company has been able to advertise, and we 100% understand that and uh, as soon as you can we want to have you back but uh, for those who have been able to stay with us we thank you more than you know uh, wild rose brewery wishes you and yours health and safety during these challenging times we support you the hard-working characters of calgary and the rest of alberta uh, this today is going to be a velvet fog evening like sun front step nice and hot like you're talking wild rose that's the move tonight that's that's your go-to I'll accept electric Ave, but I'm telling you, velvet fog is going to work nicely. The Gosa, the Gosa would do okay too. It's kind of Gosa tropical. would be fine too. Can, That's true. Yep, you can yeah. do that for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, for me, if it were me, I would go with a pink velvet. Um, yeah, that's good too. Which is okay. uh, raspberry and velvet fog together. Um, but if you were to just do one or the other, I, I could get behind that. A raspberry would feel great on the deck. A velvet fog is always refreshing. So uh, thank you so much to our friends at Wild Rose Brewery. Okay, it is April 20th, which for some people is a momentous day. It's also another day in Calgary Flames history. Uh, we've been doing this on a daily basis. It's been a lot of fun to take a trip down memory lane, and we'll do that again right now. Let's check in with Logan for this day in Flames history, April 20th. 
Let's go back in time and celebrate the amazing history of the Calgary Flames. Today in Flames History Starts. starts now. On April 20th, 1989, the Flames were looking to take a 2-0 series lead against Wayne Gretzky and the LA Kings in round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Calgary was coming off a 4-3 overtime victory in game number one. Colin Patterson would open the scoring just a minute in. Doug Gilmore followed that up with back-to-back goals to put Calgary up 3-0 just six minutes into the contest. Al McKinnis would score five minutes later, and the Flames dominated for an 8-3 win, going up 2-0 in the series on their way to a four-game sweep of the Kings. But this game might be remembered best for a third-period melee that saw Marty McSorley, Jim Weimer, and Lanny McDonald all handed game misconducts in the third period as the teams combined for 134 penalty minutes in game number two. Well, Bretzky grabbed the wrong guy. You grabbed Bretzky, you're going to get McSorley. And that's what happened. I guess unless you want to go, don't grab number 99. Now we've got Jimmy Weaver and Lanny McDonald at center right. They have an arm and arm. McDonald not known for this kind of stuff. Fans are chanting, Lanny, Lanny. Standing on the bench, and he is gesturing to the crowd, stand up and give my hand. And all of a sudden, Phil Fleury took on the role of cheerleader here. Today in Flames history, celebrating 40 years of Flames hockey in Calgary on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. So that was 1989, and how many times have we talked, Ryan, when talking to different members of that 89 team and different members of the alumni that, you know, after after Joel Otto scored in 89 to win that series in overtime and dodge that bullet that the Vancouver Canucks had pointed right at them, um, they really didn't look back. They, they did not lose uh, very much from that point forward. Their record after going 4-3 and three in the first round, they went 12-3 and three the rest of the way en route to a Stanley Cup. A sweep, a five-game win, and a six-game win. Like, that's a pretty impressive run after almost getting knocked out by a team that had 40 fewer points than they did in the first round. They really didn't look back from there, and the series against the Kings kind of started that run for the Flames. Well, and it's interesting that you think about the Smythe Division Final, which was the second round, and then the, what would it be, Campbell Conference Championship or the whatever. Um, they, they lost once in those two series. That's incredible. Yep. Like That's, in theory, against the cream of the conference, at least better teams than Vancouver, at least in the regular season, you'd think. Uh, they just absolutely rolled. Something clicked. And we've, we've seen that with teams. Um, it's, maybe it's not every year, but teams that are good – some of them have adverse moments they've got to overcome and there's moments where they look at each other and have to do something special. And when that happens away, you roll. I know we kept looking for the turning point for the, uh, the 1920 flames this season. Was it going to be TJ Brody collapsing in practice and playing for him? Was it going to be the coaching change they'd rally around? Would it be all these other numerous turning events getting shellacked at home? Um, you know, the six game losing skid, but uh, it's funny, we, you alluded to it. Like We talked probably to seven members of that uh, 89 team so far, including the head coach. They all just said after that win, they just got back to being who they were, and it maybe took the heat of that battle to get them back into their best form. 
Here's a couple of other uh, significant notes on this day, April 20th in Flames history. Their first ever playoff appearance in 1981 was a pretty important uh, uh, game on April 20th. It was game number four of their second round series or quarterfinal series against the Philadelphia Flyers. As I mentioned a few times, 81, they seeded one through 16. It wasn't regional. So Calgary played Chicago in round one and Philadelphia in round two. And uh, after losing game one, the Flames Flames had won two in a row, and in Game 4, they took a 3-1 series lead. Randy Holt, couple of goals. 5-4 ends up being the final score. Jim Paplinski, Don Lever, um, and Jamie Hislop also scored for the Calgary Flames. So they took a 3-1 series lead on the Philadelphia Flyers, and that was uh, not so far removed from the heyday of the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flames would go on to win that series in seven games uh, and eventually fall to the Minnesota North Stars in the semifinal round in six games. But think about that team had never gotten out of the first round in their time as the Atlanta Flames. They moved to Calgary, and in year one in a Canadian city playing at the Stampede Corral, they go to game six of the final four. That was a pretty magical run. You and I weren't, were you alive then? Uh, No, you wouldn't have been alive then because you were born in September. So, yeah, 1981, think about how magical that would have been in this team's first year in this city. Oh, man, yeah, that's that's, that's the good stuff right there. I mean, Think about how exciting it would be to have an NHL team. Uh, I imagine it was around that time span where you figure out that they're going to build the Saddle Dome. You're bidding for an Olympics. Now this, I mean, that just would have been, the city would have been on fire. Yeah, and uh, the corral would have been out of control in a series against the Philadelphia Flyers. That would have been a lot of fun to watch. Skip ahead three games later, 1984 Stanley Cup playoffs. Flames and Oilers battling in a 3-3 tie late. Um, Paul Reinhardt would score to make it 4-3 shorthanded, but in the third period, Mark Messier would tie this game, sending it to overtime. Game six between the Flames and Oilers. Edmonton had a 3-2 series lead. So the Flames at the Corral needed a win to force a Game 7, and one of the greatest of all time did just that. Shot knocked down at the line by Jamie McCowan to Quinn or Lanny McDonald. It goes in behind the net. Beer trying to feed it in front, and it is knocked down in front of the goal. A lead pass for Gretzky. He was tied up by Baxter, and McCowan comes back. McCowan working into the corner, loses it. Now McDonald gets it. He takes the shot. Well, a devastating slot shot. I think it changed direction. It deflected from somebody. You see it bounce in the air. But again, there's Spears in front of the net, causing havoc for goaltender Grant Fuhrer. It was Lanny McDonald with a slap shot. I don't know if you could how how clearly you could hear the audio there because uh, that was a game from 1984. But Lanny McDonald with a wicked slap shot that changes direction and beats Grant Fuhr. And in Game Six of the Smythe Division Final in 1984, the Flames force Game Number Seven. Flames had beat Vancouver in the Smythe Semifinal. Edmonton had beat Winnipeg in the Smythe Semifinal. So these two teams facing in the final. Oilers would win in game seven but that's a heck of a game for the flames to force that thing to seven another one of lanny mcdonald's iconic goals well and just another reminder that nobody came out of that conference of sub calgary and edmonton for what nearly a decade i mean we're talking about two of the best teams in the sport that were on a collision course 
in the second round every single year and sometimes in the first round. That just felt cruel. It was the way it was. And for all the the great heroics we saw for the Flames to extend series, there's a lot of, well, and then they went and lost the next one. You, you know, this one you just played, the Theo goal well, sliding on his knees in 91, only to, you know, for the Oilers to come back and erase a 3-1 deficit in game seven. I mean, it, there really couldn't have been a tougher division to play in in hockey if you were the Flames than, than just down the road from your regional rivals who happen to be a powerhouse dynasty. Well, and you think that, you know, you think back to mid-2000s, late-2000s, Toronto Blue Jays in the American League East with the Red Sox and the mm-hmm. Yankees. That's kind of what the Canucks and the Jets were in the sure. South Division uh, yeah. because you had the Flames and the Oilers in that division. Jets had some really good teams. Canucks had some really good teams, but you, you didn't have quite the same group as the, the two Alberta teams did, and uh, they just never were really able to, to get past those two teams. And more often than not, it was the Flames and Oilers going deep. And, uh, yeah, I, that's that's kind of the comparison I've always made is, yeah, they, they know what the Blue Jays felt like in about 2006. Huh. Uh, it just didn't matter what they did because the Red Sox and the Yankees were always going to be better. There's, I believe, a couple 90-win seasons or flirting with 90 wins where the Jays couldn't even get in. Like, that's that's not an easy feat. It's not, you know, world beating, but it's, that's typically a standard where if you get there, you're going to play postseason baseball. And it was, it, it almost felt like they're just, the season was over before it began in that era of 2000 yeah. AL East baseball. Like that, there, there was so much money being spent by the Yankees and Red Sox. They were well run on top of that. Uh, it, you just, it was like climbing Everest to get in, in that division. Never mind making any noise once you got there. Two more of this dates. Uh, let's skip ahead to 2002. Flames needed a win to keep their season alive. Game six of their first round series between the Flames and San Jose Sharks. Calgary had a 2-1 series lead, but the Sharks would tie the series and take a 3-2 series lead after game five in San Jose. So Sharks had an opportunity to roll into Calgary and win game six and win the series. But former Shark Owen Nolan had other ideas. Bouncing puck to Sealis on the backhand. Nolan fires and scores! Owen Nolan scores the game-winning goal to make it 1-0. Damon Lankow gave him a little insurance. And Mika Kiprasov with a 21-save shutout. The Flames force a Game 7 back in San Jose with a 2-0 win over the San Jose Sharks. That was uh, during Owen Nolan's one season as a member of the Calgary Flames. Jeez, wow, that's uh, that's way back. It's a name you forget to, was associated with the Flames. No? 16 goals, 32 points uh, that year with the Flames in 77 games. He also had three goals and five points in seven games in the playoffs. So, you know, that was definitely near the end of Nolan's career. He'd played two more years with Minnesota before his season, his uh, career rather, would come to an end. But a pretty decent year with the, the Flames for Owen Nolan. He was bouncing around the NHL, and that was his first time uh, going up in a playoff series against his former team in the San Jose Sharks and scores a big goal there. And finally, we go to 2009, one year later, Game 3, first round between the Flames and the Blackhawks. Chicago was this upstart, soon-to-be dynasty team, their first year back in the playoffs, and the first two games at the United Center went their way, both by 3-2 scores, and they took a one nothing lead in Game 3 at the Scotiabank Saddledome, but the Flames would push their way back. they tie it on an Eric Nystrom goal. Rene Bork would give the Flames the lead. And then in the third period, how about this guy putting it away for Calgary? 
Now Lanko tries to send it across. Party follows up. Adam Party's in. Shot, rebound, scores! David Moss, 3-1, Calgary! Here's a breakaway pass that doesn't reach Glenn Cross. Now to the attack. Moss steps over the line. And Glenn Cross. Shot, scores! Two goals in less than six minutes for David Moss. Flames take a 4-1 lead. They win the game 4-2. They keep their season alive and now only down two games to one in that series. Here's the one thing I remember that about that series and that season. The line of David Moss, Curtis Glencross, and Craig Conroy was hmm. an analytics nerd dreams. They crushed other teams' third lines. Like, they were the best third line or one of the best third lines in the NHL that year. Moss was a possession monster. Glenn Cross was a possession monster with some finish. And Craig Conroy was a really smart two-way player and, and a mm-hmm. really good puck distributor. That line was so good that year, and uh, that, was, uh, that was a big night for them. They beat the Blackhawks 4-2 in Game 3 of their first-round series on this day in 2009 love it there's some good names there i'd forgotten about and, I, and i'm telling you you we're, we're learning a lot about you patty but uh your man crush for david moss has got to be like top five amongst uh, all-time flames i feel yeah it would be conroy backland moss would all be <laughs> glenn um, glenn cross would be in there too like this th- th- those Stadium? would be four of your top top five or six right there for flames man crushes <laughs> Well, for me, it's uh, Patty and, and Rasmus have have uh, <laughs> cracked their way in as part of the active roster. Sure, too. <laughs> you're just Barry Colt Central now, eh? Yeah, uh, yeah. for me, it's got to be what uh, Neil Weidman Brower, <laughs> yeah, Brower. Uh, Smith. Who else? Smith need a defenseman in there. How about Chris Russell? Yeah, they, I mean, we Michael all have Stone, man crushes. You were a, you're a big Michael Stone guy. <laughs> I didn't mind him this year. He's pretty good seven. Nick Grossman. <laughs> I don't have to watch him. Nick. That was hardly real. What did he get? Like a month? But yeah. I, this, I thought he had a game where Connor took his pants off and beat him silly, and then that was it. Oh, dear. Yeah. Is that well, what happened? He took his pants off, Logan? Was that, is that he lasted time? about, no, what, what, a period before you realized he shouldn't be in the league anymore? <laughs> uh, yeah. That was a period more than we needed to be proven. I'll say that much. Mm hmm. Well, let's do this. Elliot Friedman around the corner, our NHL insider, and uh, 3 o'clock special guest defenseman of the Vancouver Canucks and former Penticton V. Troy Stetcher going to join us as well. Really, really cool story in terms of Stetcher's path to the NHL and uh, how he got to being an everyday top six defenseman in this league. Elliot Friedman next. Pinder and Steinberg's underway. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. While your business is empty, Calgary Lock and Safe can update any trouble doors and do a site audit for security. Get it done now. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Mr. Friedman, another week in the pandemic. We need a uh, status update on your, what is it, 32,000-piece puzzle? How are we doing? You know what? It's a big task, man. It is a big assignment. Like, so it comes in eight bags of four thousand pieces, and we opened up the first bag, and we're starting to like 
figure out. I mean, you, you try anyone who does a puzzle, you know, you try to find the edges first, but it's not easy mm-hmm. to find all the edges. And then so you start looking at all the pieces that are the same color. And basically what the puzzle is, is it's a, um, it, it's a New York City skyline viewed from a balcony. So a lot of the, there's a lot of sky. There's a lot of similarly looking, similar looking buildings going to be a challenge so my sister is working on a 3,000 piece one and i'm like you're crazy that's insane it's the whole dining room table you said 32 last week and i i was like it's elliot he's probably not wrong but i bet you he's wrong uh like that's that's insane like yeah it's massive eight bags of 4,000 yeah eight (laughs) bags of 4,000 pieces jeez and I, I didn't know this either, but the puzzle apparently retails for close to $500. My oh. sister-in-law got it at an auction for like 100 and she hadn't done it yet. And my wife was looking for puzzles, and she's, she said, well, why don't you try this one? So they dropped it off. And <laughs> we're kind of looking at it like, wow, this is uh, an enormous challenge. Enormous. So you and the wife are into it. Is your son into it, or is it mostly you? No, How do you buddy, split up the workload he, here? It's the two of us. He's not remotely okay. interested. He, <laughs> yeah. He's waiting for the new uh, Mario Odyssey 3D to come out on the Switch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my wife says, I can't even look at you doing the puzzle. I get stressed. You can't do puzzles yeah. around me, which I think is totally unfair, but mm-hmm. puzzles ain't for everyone. Um, They're for me. Let's and get... those people are losers. Yeah. Who cares about that? <laughs> I'll tell her you said that. So uh, St. Louis Blues make some news last Thursday. They ink Marco Scandella to an extension after adding him in trade at the deadline. Uh, do we have any tea leaves to read regarding Alex Petrangelo, or is are these two things not related enough in the sense that they both can fit? I know money's an issue, but there are ways around it, and there is uncertainty about the cap. But what does this mean for Petrangelo would probably be the, the really concise short question I should have asked. Well, the one thing here is that don't forget there's there's one uh, significant difference between uh, between Alex Petrangelo and Marco Scandella, and that is that Marco Scandella is a left hand shot. Okay, so I think when when you look at like Jay Bowmeister, he hasn't made any announcements, but you know I think it's unlikely he's going to play again, right? And if you look at his cap hit, it was, I think, $3.5 million. And Scandella's new deal just came in underneath that for term. So it's slightly underneath that. That says to me that Jay Bowmeister's money was going to Marco Scandella. That's kind of what we're looking at here. So I think the Petrangelo thing is a little bit different. I mean, the, the one complicating factor to all of this right now is that uh, we don't know what the cap's going to look like. I suspect it's going to be about the same, but nothing's done until it's done. Um, so I, I, so I think that if you're the Blues and you're Petrangelo, you know there's going to be a bit more of a squeeze here just because of what's happened. But I don't necessarily think that. Um, but I do think that Scandella was there to replace Bowmister, and he got Bowmister's salary slot. So with Petrangelo. Is it safe to say that the Blues are only going to bring him back on what we would end up calling a hometown discount? Or will Doug Armstrong, do you think, move somewhere close to market if he has to? I don't think he's willing to go to market. Um, 
You know, I don't think there's been a lot of uh, – hang on one sec, buddy. I don't think there's been a lot of dialogue on this one this year. I think there's been on-again and off-again negotiations. I, I believe that the Blues made it clear they were willing to go around Ekman Larson. And Ekman Larson is eight times eight two five. And I think the Blues are maybe willing to go a little bit higher, you know, because he's their guy, he's their captain, they won the cup and everything. But I don't think they were willing to go into the nines or anything more than that. And that's kind of where they were stuck at this particular point in time. And, you know, I I just think right now, Ryan, um, you know, we don't know where this is going. And, you know, I, I spoke to Petrangelo a couple of weeks ago or via text. And he just said that, you know, you know, now is not really the time to worry about it too much. So I have a feeling we'll see this get sorted out one way or the other over time. But I think the blues, at least their position in the past had been, we're willing to do OEL and maybe a little bit more, but we're not really looking to do more than that. Elliot Friedman joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Mr. Friedman, a number of questions about NHL defensemen for you today. Tell us a little bit about how we got to finally a conclusion of the Winnipeg Jets and Dustin Bufflin saga, and now he is officially no longer a member of that team. How did we get to this point? Well, I think there were a couple of things that had to happen. Um, You know, like like I'd heard that this was going to happen a couple months ago, and I don't know if it was because there were other things going on. We had to go through the deadline. And um, I do know that both the league and the players association had to agree on language that um, would settle the um, grievance and that whatever was decided here would not affect any future grievances. That kind of happens too. And I'm not sure Pat, if it was simply a a situation where look, there's, there's more time to deal with things now. We can get around to deal with it. Um, I think that this was something that both sides realized uh, right around, if not after the trade deadline, was going to eventually get done. But, um, you know, I, I think the biggest question is, is he going to play again? And I thought Kevin Dayoff had a good co- quote in his conference call when he said that the only guy who knows that is Bufflin. And uh, he's not talking, at least not right now. I, I believe there's interest. I, I believe teams have reached out to ask what he's thinking, but I, I don't think anyone's going to know. And I don't think there's a chance he's going to play if he doesn't feel healthy. Like this was all about, he didn't feel healthy. His ankle didn't heal to his satisfaction and he just wasn't looking forward to playing and the amount he plays and the way he plays, if he was going to be in pain. So if he's not healthy, uh, I, I don't think he, there's any chance he's going to play. And if he is healthy, Pat, I don't know if we know the answer. Well, because I found the the quote interesting, where essentially he said that I just I don't have it in me right now to to be an NHL. Or it, so it all came down to to injuries and health, hey? Yes, um, you know I had heard rumors that maybe he wanted to be traded. Uh, Kevin Shevoldayoff in his conference call said that he, that, you know, so I guess the night that that Bufflin told. Shevel day off that he didn't want to play was the night before training camp, which I guess was September the 11th. And he said he met him again the next day and asked him, do you want to be traded? And Bufflin said it wasn't about that. He just didn't want to play. 
So I do think that I, I do like when I look back at the timeline, the one thing I really think that happened was when Bufflin left the Jets at the end of last season, he wasn't healthy. He agreed that he signed the piece of paper that said he could play if the season started today. But I think he just kind of signed it as, ah, I'll be fine. I'll heal on the summer and I'll be ready to go at the beginning of next year. And it just didn't heal. And I think he lost his enthusiasm for that reason. I, I've, that's the story I was always told and, Nothing I've heard since then has, has gotten me to say that that's wrong or inaccurate. The one thing I had heard possibly was that he wanted to be traded to play somewhere else. And Chevaldeau said he asked Buffalo that face-to-face and was told that wasn't the case. Okay. Um, our colleague uh, Eric Engels had a piece on this over the weekend, but Andre Markov officially announcing his retirement. And, you know, it's been a little while since we've seen him as an impact NHLer, but I, I don't know if he necessarily gets appreciated as much outside of Montreal as perhaps he should, but it's a pretty good defenseman during his uh, pretty long and, and impressive career, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, he was a, he was a really good player. And uh, I actually liked it when Engels uh, did the piece about it. Um, he talked about guys who made a lot of money because of Markov and, Sheldon Sure sent out a tweet where with a raised hand, which I, I thought was really funny. I thought that was pretty clever. Um, you know, Markov was a guy, you know, he, he didn't let a lot of people into his world. And I'll tell you this, like one of my, you know, great disappointments just as from a reporting point of view was that we were uh, about to do a big piece on him. And I, I must have been still at Hockey Night at this time. I don't think I was, the rights were over yet at Rogers. And the night before, like, he was going to take us to some of those places he went to in Montreal. He finally agreed to do it. And we were really excited about, okay, like, now we're going to find out what Markov does in Montreal because he was a pretty private guy. And the night before we were going to do it, he suffered a serious injury. I believe it was against Carolina. And that ended the piece. And we never got an opportunity to reschedule it. Um, Just a great passer an unbelievable passer, uh, a really determined uh, player. Um, You know, Carey Price, the story that uh, we heard was that when Price was struggling and Halak was playing goal in the playoffs, some of the guys wanted to shoot on Price, and he didn't have a great attitude, and he left the ice early. And Markov went after him and said, no, you know, you get back out there. You're the guy who has to practice with people. Um, Real professional guy. Um, um, you know, I, I think the the end with him in Montreal, um, it wasn't easy for everyone involved. I don't think it was easy for him. I don't think it was easy for them. I think Markov wanted to go back and try back for them once more, but they didn't want to go down that road. Um, so that's unfortunate. But there's no question that at his peak, he was a really talented player and a really important player for that team. Um, and now I do have to, uh, cause last week you were on with us. I, I do have to hold you accountable for something. You, uh, came oh, on with I us and, and teased, well, you teased a, a big piece that you're coming up with an oral history, but you Ooh. wouldn't tell us what, but you did tease that, uh, yeah, you guys probably won't like it very much. You didn't really, <laughs> you probably should have sold it a little hot. You're doing an entire series on the 2011 Vancouver Canucks. I don't know if you can come on the station anymore. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. It's it's a two-parter. The first part was out yesterday. The second part comes out uh, on uh, on Wednesday morning. Um, it wasn't expected to be. It was only supposed to be one part. Um, you know, it's their 50th anniversary, and they wanted to do a big piece on that team, and they offered me the option to do it, which I jumped at. Um, it was it was pretty massive, Pat. Um, my initial word count was 55,000, and we got it Oops. down to about we got it it's down to about. Yeah, I know. It's, seriously, it, it ended up being about thirty thousand words. And um, hang on one sec, big guy. I'm almost done. So um, we, you know, we basically I did thirty interviews, nineteen hours of uh, interviews, and it just kept going. And you know, like if you give me an assignment, about thirty percent of the time I'm going to do it really well. And this was one of those situations where I did it really well. Um, you know, there was everybody talked except one person, um, and they were really good about talking about the team. and And I really liked that group. They were really. I know a lot of other people didn't like them, Pat, and I get that because they were cocky and they were brash. But dealing with them, the times I did was a real pleasure. I, I really liked it. And um, you know, probably the, the one thing it's like it's the last time a Canadian team was close to winning the cup. It. It was one of the best series I ever covered. That Vancouver-Boston series was really something. And um, I, my own bias, obviously I like part one. I think part two is better because it goes through the playoffs uh, and the emotions, okay. the ups and downs of Chicago, the ups of Nashville and San Jose, and then the ups and then very big downs of Boston and the legacy. And, um, you know, those guys were honest. They didn't, they didn't hide anything. And, you know, the one thing I'll tell you, Pat, at the beginning was the first few guys I interviewed, I was asking them very specific questions about the Boston series. And you could see how hard it was. Like, it's been nine years, and it hasn't gotten any easier on those guys. And I actually had to dial it back a little bit because I thought um, I I could sense how – I don't know if triggering is the right word, but just how hard it was for them to be asked specific details of that series. So, I mean, I know you guys hate the Canucks and I get it. If I was you, I'd hate them too, but I hope people are entertained by it at least. Well, I will say this about that team. And I, uh, I look back at that group and that, that was an elite hockey team. Like when you yeah. when you take into account what the Sedins were doing with Burroughs, how how elite a player Kessler was at that time, what Malhotra was doing with those defensive faceoffs, uh, Luongo and Net, that blue line, like they probably should have won the Stanley Cup that year, and, and we can say that now, and we love that they didn't, but that team was the best team in hockey over eighty two plus however many they played in the playoffs. Like that they, they really were the best team in the league and, and it really wasn't close. No, well, they're the, they were the first team since the 78 Canadians to lead in goals for and goals against. They had wow. the number one power play. They had the number one penalty kill until late. They had a couple bad games late, and I think they finished tied for second. Um, they had uh, Ted Lindsay winner as most outstanding player voted by the players. That was Daniel Sedin. Kessler won the Selkie. Luongo was nominated for the Vesna. Vigneault was nominated for the Jack Adams. They won the President's Trophy by, I think, 10 points. And, you know, they, and, you, know you think about it, they, that Chicago series, which was a great series, a real roller coaster, that one went seven. 
Then they beat Nashville in six, San Jose in five, and they were up 2 nothing on Boston before the wheels fell off. And, yeah, I think they were a hell of a team, but I don't want to take anything away from the Bruins. The Bruins deserved and earned the win in that series. Um, it was uh, it was pretty – like, it was it, – it was, I just remember that series and how – like, the guy who taught – the first guy I quote um, talking about that Stanley Cup final is, is Corey Schneider. And Corey Schneider just – and he goes, I wasn't – I barely even played, and I could feel the hate. And he said the level of hate that grew between the teams, the organizations, the fans, the media, he said it was one of those series. When you get to the Stanley Cup final, he said he imagined it was always supposed to be fun. And he said that was fun for everyone else but us. And uh, uh-huh. I remember covering it that series, and I'll tell you, Pat, it felt that way. Wow. Yeah. He's Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider, joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. So who didn't talk to you from the Canucks? There's a great follow-up, no? <laughs> yeah, the the only guy who didn't talk was um, was was Manny Malhotra, and I understand okay. that. That was a very traumatic year for him, obviously. And uh, um, you know, there's there's a, there's a little bit of a chapter on him, a section on him, I guess. And some other people talk glowingly about him, and I, I'm gonna. Uh, like Dan Hanhuis in particular, but I'll, I'll leave it to what it said. But, you know, he's the one guy who didn't get back. And, I mean, you got Ryan, like that was such a hard year for him. You totally understand. Yeah. No, I was expecting some uh, another layer of villain to like a Burroughs, BX, a Kessler no, type. But no, everybody, that's, that's at, like we did, I think it was 30 <laughs> interviews and I made 31 requests and I got 30 people who said yes. Now, some people did take more convincing than others. Like sure. I and like I said, Ryan, I think I think there are some people who still are really I don't know if scarred is the right word, but like that mm-hmm. that's like the the thing you get old when you get older uh and you see teams close up and I've covered a lot of these playoff series now, man, if you care at all and these guys do care, it absolutely sucks to lose. And the yeah. farther you go, the more it sucks. We'll check in next week and see if you get all those edge pieces sorted out. Good catching up as always. All right, guys. Take care. (laughs) See you, Elliot. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. While your business is empty, Calgary Lock and Safe can update any trouble doors and do a site audit for security. Get it done now. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. That was quite a team. Like, uh, I was living in BC at the time, and so certainly wasn't a Canucks fan, but uh, you could – there was, as Elliot said, an arrogance about them, a confidence, but there was good reason for it. It was not unearned. And two presidents trophies in a row, like it uh that to see them come from two O leading in that series to lose it, that ripped a lot of hearts out in BC. Never mind the guys on that team. And I've I'm a firm believer well, of what Elliot said. At the three, end. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Remember they were up three two in that series on Max Lapierre scored that one nothing goal in the third period of game five. Uh, I was at a downtown bar in Vancouver watching it, 
No and way. Uh, the, the Canucks were legit on the brink of winning. Then they go into Boston for game six, and they get pummeled. And then the Bruins come back in game seven. And after a pretty competitive first period, the, the Canucks, I believe they were down one nothing after 20. Uh, things just went off the rails from there, and the Bruins took over. It was, it, was, it was one of those series where they had it in their grasp a couple of times but couldn't close it out. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, we got a busy show today. Speaking of the Canucks, uh, their defenseman, Troy Stetcher, going to join us at 3 o'clock. Just got a text from him. He's ready to rock. That's about four minutes away. We'll do a little wild card Wednesday on a Monday. And uh, what? we got we got some more uh, classic sport tonight on 960, Pat. Is a, a, what is it, a week of Blue Jays comebacks? Is that what I'm seeing? That's correct, yeah. All right. Don't mind that. There's a couple Steve Pierce grand slams in there. and uh, We'll dive into that later. Canucks defenseman, Troy Stetcher, on the other side. Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 304, another Monday, beautiful one in Calgary. Blue skies and flirting with 20 today, something that has not happened in Calgary since October. It's quite the opposite story in Vancouver. It's been a lovely spring by all accounts. Let's head there now. Troy Stetcher, the Vancouver Canucks, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Troy, how are you? What's going on? How you doing? Good, uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it has. It feels like uh, my co-host Pat was saying this is uh, March 51st today. So it's uh, time's going slow, it seems. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy times right now in the world. And um there's so many unknowns still out there, so uh, every day is a new day, but it seems like uh, it's getting pretty pretty repetitive. So who's who's the star right now? Could, like, is Phoebe Stetcher your best friend on earth to have a dog that you can go outside with to, to <laughs> yeah. keep your mind away from this? <laughs> She's been enjoying this. She's probably uh, 24 hours a day. She gets full attention. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We're fortunate out here in Vancouver, obviously, with the mountains and the ocean and whatnot. You're allowed to you're able to get outside and, and keep your distance from others. So uh, I've been taking full advantage of that with her. What do you do to stay, I guess, sharp? Because there's obviously the physical component, but there's also, you know, just, you know, keep into a rhythm and a schedule. What do your days look like here is we don't really have a date on the calendar where you can say, okay, I need to be ready for, you know, June 1 or July 4, May 3rd. Yeah. Like, you don't really know. How, how have you gone day to day to stay sharp on during this stretch uh, just trying to stay motivated and finding a purpose within your day um i know for our team and with the canucks we we've been talking to our strength guys uh from a distance and we have a program where we're doing exercises during the day and um that's riding the bike and lifting some different weights so uh, that will hopefully keep us in shape but at the end of the day playing at this level you definitely need to get on the ice and you got to compete against each other so i think we're all itching to get back but uh, who knows when that will be. Yeah. And you know what? It's a weird season for it to happen to you guys, because this was looking like, and certainly on track to be uh, a first postseason opportunity for a ton of you, especially this young core on the team with Pedersen Hughes, yourself and others uh, that it's got to be like, man, why this year? There's been other years where this wouldn't have been as frustrating. I imagine. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty tough. We've, gone through some struggles uh the past couple of years and we haven't got the results we wanted and there's been some hard times so just to be in the fight and uh have a taste of 
you know, trying to compete for the playoffs was, was a really enjoyable for our group. And I think, uh, it was super beneficial, but to see this happen and it's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, everybody's in the same boat and, um, this is a lot bigger than hockey. So, uh, we just try to stay healthy, uh, protect your loved ones and continue on. So what do you, what have you done to keep the camaraderie around? Are you guys on the zoom calls like everyone else or whatever other technology you've got, or is it sort of, you just pick your pals group chat? How does it work? Where you keeping in touch with teammates? Yeah, we got an Instagram group chat going, a couple of different text chats. So um, someone's always kind of popping off in there, giving it to somebody <laughs> else and trying to keep it light. So um, you know, we stay in touch that way. Obviously, we'd love to see each other, but I think guys are definitely taking advantage of this time to see their families and spend time with their kids. Um, obviously, with what, they, what we do, there's so much time away from home. So um, I think that could be a positive from this take. Yeah, sure. Troy Stetcher's with us, defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks on Pinder and Steinberg. Troy, tell us about, you talked a little bit about this year, but tell us about kind of the maturation of this group. This is your fourth season with the team now, and, you know, it was a young group when you started, and it still has remained young, but those young players are turning into the drivers of this team. Tell us about kind of the maturation and evolution of this Canucks group. Yeah, it's, um, especially since I've got here, there's been quite a bit of change, um, but in saying that, there's a lot of familiarity. I, I, you look at Eddie and Tanny; those are kind of the two of the older veteran guys, and Sutsi, they've uh, they've been here a lot longer than a lot of the other guys, and they kind of carry the culture and uh, what they expect out of, out of younger guys, and we come to the rink every day, and we, we try to hold that standard for them, but um, I think as we've progressed and we started to find results and have success early this year, it definitely helped you know, the entire group rally around a team atmosphere and you kind of putting those labels of a veteran and a rookie aside and um, understanding that, you know, the young guys might be your go-to guys and that's kind of how it is for our team and that's super exciting. I got to ask you about your coach, first of all. Everybody who I've, I've ever heard talk about Travis Green says nothing but good things about him as a motivator and, and him as somebody who can relate to players today. Tell us about playing for Coach Green. Uh, it's super enjoyable. Obviously, he played, I think he almost had a 1,000 games or something. Um, so he's super knowledgeable in that aspect. He understands the, the viewpoints we're coming from because he's been in our shoes. And I just think that the chemistry between the players and the coaches that way, it helps. Um, I think our results prove that too. Like He expects a lot of us in practice and training camp, and he challenges us to, to work extremely hard. But um, with that, we, we were showing some of the results this year. And then sometimes it might take longer than you expect, um, kind of like last year. But uh, when it pays off, you definitely feel good as a group and you feel like you've achieved more than you have. When you see players like Elias and, and Besser and, and you know the, the Quinn Hughes and the, the skill that now exists on your team, can it be hard when you know that that skill exists as a group to stick with kind of that hard-working mantra that the coach is, is given? Because that's been maybe the most impressive thing to me is there's a ton of skill on that team. You guys still work your tail off every single night. Yeah, I think um, just for those young guys, I feel like I'm kind of that middle-aged group a bit now, but um, you you don't take it for granted. You like you dream about playing in the NHL your whole life, so you're not going to really take a day off and that pushes you to work as hard as you can in practice and that's going to challenge your teammates to try to compete as harder with you and i think it's just like a domino effect in that regard and travis is 
really good at motivating us in that in that respect. And uh, it helps that he's been in our shoes and we're able to relate to him. We can understand that it works. Cool to be uh cool to be playing with Brock Besser again because you guys you guys spent your last year at UND he was there too right. Yeah, that's correct. That was his freshman year, and that was my junior year, and uh, we won a national championship together. So uh, he's definitely one of my better friends. Um, his rookie year here in Vancouver, when he signed, we lived together. We were roommates, so uh, we spent a lot of time together. And um, can't wait for him to get back. <laughs> Dude's been one of the more uh, dangerous outside shooting threats in the NHL since since popping into the league. Like when. Were you uh, when you saw him playing as a freshman? Did you could you see that this guy had uh, NHL chops in his future? Yeah, um, I was obviously undrafted, and being from Vancouver, he was their first round selection. So I just kind of gravitated towards him, kind of took him under my wing, or at least tried to make him feel welcome as an older player on the team that year. And um, you could just tell from day one, stepping on the ice, that he was going to be our best player, and he was. Um, you look at the numbers he put up, and not only the numbers, but the time like, game that like, he put the puck in the net, and just like the key moments. And, uh, he's just a big time player, and you could tell that he had it in him. And I'm not surprised of the success that he's having now. Uh, what about Bo Horvat as your captain? How was? Uh, it seemed like that was such a natural choice as soon as there was a vacancy at, at team captain. But how was? Uh, how has Bo embraced the the role of being the leader of this team in year one? Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, Bo's is super mature for his age. He always has been. Um, he's a guy that's going to go for dinner with every guy on the team, and he's going to have something in common with everybody. Um, he's, he's a good player to look up to. He's been here for, I think, five five years now, and he's been here since a young guy, so he's earned his stripes. And um, I know everybody in our room has a ton of respect for Bo, and um I think being a leader, you don't always have to be the most vocal, but um, Bo is definitely a guy that goes on the ice every night and works his tail off, so it's easy to follow him. He is Vancouver Canucks defenseman Troy Stetcher joining us this afternoon on Pinder and Steinberg. Troy, tell us a little bit about uh, what could be a second consecutive Calder winner in Vancouver, depending on how voting goes whenever this offseason arrives. Quinn Hughes has just had a dazzling first season. What have you seen? It's, it's amazing to watch. Um, he, he's such a special player, and the craziest thing is that he's not the biggest guy, and he invites like body contact. And I think if you watch his game and you kind of dissect it, he wants you to kind of make body contact, and that way he's able to feel which way he wants to spin off you. And it's just a trait that's so hard to teach, and it's just amazing to watch live. And it's crazy to think where he's going to be when he's older because he's only 19 or 20 or whatever right now. So. Uh, pretty impressive. Where did what did you see a click for him this year, or or was it almost right out of the gate? Because it seemed like uh, the Calder hype. It was like, well, McCarr can't lose this thing, and then Hughes just kept piling up these multi-point games. And you're like, he's playing in all situations. They're not sheltering this guy at all. I wish you could see it. He's like half asleep before every game. I don't understand it. Um, he just <laughs> has a light switch on in his brain, and when it's game time, he comes ready to play. It's it's quite crazy. Yeah, and I, I mean it's it's unique. You're both guys that aren't huge back there, but your roots couldn't be more different in the sense that how quickly he's jumped in. And you were a guy that, uh, as you alluded to earlier, you were signed out of college. I mean, you weren't drafted. Uh, how, how would you sort of just like you were a skilled, undersized player? But to put Quinn in perspective, that's nuts. Yeah, it's um, 
there's a reason why he went obviously top ten in the NHL draft. There's I don't know. If even if you don't talk about Quinn, you can talk about Jack and just the bloodlines in their family. They're obviously going to be good hockey players, and um, I'm not surprised of how fast he's made it and how accelerated that his game has, has become. And um, like I said, like it's going to be scary to see how good he's going to be when he's older. Because at this age right now, he was arguably our best player, not, not just letting our best team out of the season. That's crazy. Yeah, not so. Uh, a couple more hockey ones for you, and then we'll get to some fun stuff. Uh, first off, we're, Elias Pettersson missed some time this year. JT Miller comes in his first year. has been sensational uh, in terms of uh, you know making this team playoff ready. What has the vibe been around the city and the team compared to years past, as we talked about, right in the mix, not just to get in, but potentially even to win the division? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun just being around the city. Um, you know, the fans in Vancouver are pretty knowledgeable. They understand when you're going to have a successful team and when you're not, and they're really going to rally around you. Um, and they're not really bandwagon. If you're playing poorly, they're going to let you know, and if you're winning, they're going to let you know. So uh, to have some success this year was a lot more fun, obviously, in the city. People are just come, coming up to you and saying congrats or keep it going. So um, it's been a lot, a lot more enjoyable winning a lot more hockey games. What's it like playing in your hometown? That's uh, something a, a lot of pros never have the opportunity to do. Yeah. Uh, there's pros and cons to it, that's for sure. I definitely get a lot of ticket requests, which gets annoying. But <laughs> um, being able to pop over to mom and dad, see my family, friends, um, nothing can beat it. And then obviously I'm biased because it's my hometown, but Vancouver is just like, it's the most beautiful city in the world, in my opinion. And uh, I feel so fortunate to live here. And every single day you can do something different and you can always have a great time yeah no that's cool when did it uh obviously you know like probably what 90 percent of the the boys that grew up in this country you wanted to play in the nhl that's a dream but when did that look very real for you given um you know as you said you weren't drafted yeah probably my sophomore year of college i had some offers to sign at the end of the season and obviously that was my kind of my first taste of being offered to play pro and for the first time hearing it, you get excited, but at the same time, you understand that you're not ready for that for that step yet. Um, just definitely had a big off season that year, and then my junior junior year, uh, probably about Christmas time, I, my game had kind of taken off, and I was playing at a really high level. And I just knew that I was ready for a new challenge the following season, so I decided to turn pro. What's it like playing there? We hear a lot about that program and what it means, the facility. Uh, how big it is at the school, the hockey uh, program. What, what did you know heading in, and, and what can you tell people that have never been uh, to North Dakota? Yeah, it's it's the pinnacle of college hockey. Um, the arena is the most beautiful arena I've ever seen. Um, it's just it's a miniature NHL program. You know, there's not much there in Grand Forks. It's a very small town. I think it's sixty thousand, about thirty are students. Um, they specialize in like aviation and nursing. Those are kind of the two main programs. And then for some reason they have this really historic hockey program. And I don't know what it is, but I think when you get there, there's nothing else to do. So you spend 18 hours a day at the rink. Like you're just a, a rink rat. And that's just how everybody is there. And um, their tracker kind of speaks for himself with promoting players on the next level. And even coaches like Dave Haxall got hired right out of college, which was kind of unheard of. And, um, I enjoyed my time there for sure. Yeah, right on. Okay, fun one for you. Uh, the Canucks at one of the intermissions 
uh, in the second half of the season had the, the infamous dog race. I believe it was from yeah. like goal line to the, the far blue line. Uh, your dog, Phoebe, who we led the interview off with because uh, Phoebe's clearly a star, uh, has won over the hearts of British Columbia and, and even beyond. Uh, tell yeah. us about what you knew was happening and then the aftermath. Well, I had heard about it. Uh, my girlfriend was in town, so she went on the ice with Phoebe. She, I guess all the owners went at one end, the dogs started at the goal line, and she kind of got lost mid-race, thought that Jordy Ben's fiance was my girlfriend. They both have blonde hair. <laughs> so when she got to the middle of the ring, she was kind of like, confused did a pull like a yui a donut or whatever and finally crossed the finish line but uh i think the fans enjoyed it i saw the video afterwards it looked awesome uh, a lot of fun so she was attracted to win it and didn't she got distracted as you described i believe if i'm yeah. correct but like this has spawned like a major outpouring people are doing paintings of your dog i'm seeing you being presented it by people yeah. on connect tv like she's a star <laughs> after the game there was like a twitter poll of who they thought they were going to win Phoebe had like 86%, so she let a lot of people down. <laughs> so I might owe some people some money. <laughs> oh. Well, Troy, great catching up. Uh, it sounds like you're in a great state of mind, all things considered. Enjoy spring in Vancouver, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Hopefully this season resumes. I know how uh, big it's been for you guys in that, uh, that organization out there. Yes, thank you so much. I uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Stay safe out there. Troy Stetcher. Joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar is closed, but they're still open for pickup and delivery. 403-248-3344. Great kid. And uh, the dog's even more popular, Pat, as we just found out. Yeah, and uh, that can easily happen. You know, you can be a good NHL player, but if your dog's cute, you're uh, you're in trouble. (laughs) It's a cool story. Uh, I've I've always – Stetcher's kind of one of those um, really cool – not not quite rags to riches, but he's he's one of those guys that you know was was overlooked and and didn't get drafted. And as a smaller defenseman, he had to scratch and claw his way to the NHL. But here's a guy who has played four games in the American Hockey League and has essentially been an everyday player um from since since joining professional hockey he made the jump after his junior season in college at north dakota he won himself the uh the national title and then signed with the canucks and you know he played four games in utica and since that time yeah there's been some healthy scratches but he's essentially been an everyday nhler since since making the jump which is which is pretty impressive and you know, not a, you take a look at some of the guys that he played with at North Dakota. We mentioned Brock Besser, but Nick Schmaltz was there, and um, you know Tucker Pullman, Tucker Pullman? Uh, a former yep. third round pick in the NHL. Like there, there were some there were some good players on those teams that that probably got a whole lot more. Well, definitely got a whole lot more. Rocco Grimaldi was there in his first year, like a whole lot more run than he did. Yet here he is. He's been an NHLer and and a full time NHLer for all four years since he's finished at college. It's a pretty impressive story. And, and you know he's a small, mobile defenseman, but I like his game. I'm I'm a I'm I'm quite a big Troy Stetcher fan. As much as you can be a fan of somebody who plays for the Canucks. I I was working for the Penticton V's in 2009-10 season, and Stetcher was uh, one of the top defensemen playing major midget in the whole province of BC. And uh, our head coach Fred Harbinson, who we had on uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week. Time's flying here in the pandemic, but. Uh, went to recruit him and was watching games and wanted to sit down with the family. I think they had a meal or a coffee set up to chat and just get to know 
what was going on and whether Troy was interested in coming to Penticton. And sure enough, the dad and the son get out of the car and coach turns to one of his assistants and says, I hope that's his younger brother. I mean, he was a really, really small player, but stepped into the BC league, was a captain there, alternate captain in North Dakota. And uh, it's, it's, it really is a one of defying the odds. This, this was a very, very small player, but always a guy that could think the game and create offense. And it's cool to see those kinds of guys that just work hard, make it not to mention doing it in your own backyard. That'd be pretty neat too. Richmond, BC, and now playing for the Canucks. Who, uh, who else can we tap into from your Penticton days? Cause I think that that's something that we, uh, let me see. If I, I know Bo Bennett, so and, and Bo's you know, been playing in Tucson for the last couple of years, I believe. He's in the American League, so there's he's one of the funnier guys on Twitter. Uh, he was anytime there's an opportunity to make fun of himself for being like a band aid, he never misses it yeah. on Twitter. It's it's pretty classic. Great one of the early great Twitter NHLers. Um, and then there'd be well, I'm just trying to think. Like I would have just missed Mike Riley, who's now what in Ottawa after time in Minnesota in and Ottawa Montreal. Now? Uh, yeah, it was part of that deal that they cleared out room. It was like Montreal traded him, Buffalo traded Scandella to Montreal, Flames traded for a leak to Buffalo. Like it was part of that, all those swaps that went down in like yep. 24 hours. I remember being on a beach in Australia, like what's going on over there? Um, and then I'm trying to think like who the real, like there's some other good guys but that, that came right after me. Some other guys that had really, really good careers but didn't make to the NHL. Brian Johansson had one year, but he was 16, so it wasn't like he was – you know, the finished product that, that went on from there. But there, there's lots of really interesting guys that would be fun chats. Like Jim Nill's son played there. Ron Hextel's son played there. We had a kid from uh, from Dallas, Texas, who was drafted by the Stars. That's a crazy story to think of, uh, you know, a guy that basically started playing hockey because the Stars moved to Dallas and rinks started opening. Like there's, it was always neat being there because you, there were some great, great stories. And as we talked about with the coach last week, 20 sons of NHL players – in uh, the last what decade or so there it's pretty neat well and they who else has gone through penticton uh we know paul korea went through there brett hull we talked about went brett through hull. there who else has gone through there joe murphy who is unless you're a little older was a really 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 good player really good player, um, yep. duncan keith a sensational penticton v from penticton might have been the panthers at that point actually and then went to i believe michigan state before coming back as a 20 year old playing Kelowna. I remember one summer, I've told this anecdote a few times, he came into the event center with the Stanley Cup, and it was like, wow, this is pretty good. He's got it over his head and his dad, and I think like his brother or his uncle or someone was behind his dad, but it got better because behind uh, Keith holding the Stanley Cup was one of his family members holding the Norris Trophy. And, oh, look, there's the Olympic gold around his neck. It must have been uh, 2010. That's a good year of work. <laughs> yep. Did all right that year. Him and Taves had a pretty good year that year. <laughs> Holy, no kidding. So yeah, anyway, fun times. It's it's neat when you're with a program and you can see that success, right? Well, speaking of Penticton, that is one of the topics that we are touching on next. Not about the junior hockey team that plays there, but about but about the kind of annual event they host in september to kick off the nhl season do we have any news about the penticton young stars classic that and a whole lot more including a top 40 flames of all time countdown that's when we come back with ryan pike of flamesnation.ca happy monday we're underway on pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan pinder and steinberg in the afternoon sportsnet 960 the fan 
Hope your Monday's going along well. Let's say hello to our weekly Monday guest, Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca, as uh, he continues to pump out content over at the Nation. I'm not exactly sure how, Piker, but you're doing it. What's happening? How you uh, how you holding up? Uh, you know, so far so good. I mean, uh, I see. You know, we're at the point now. We're like, okay, let's. Uh, we can poke at the at the bones of the the 1920 season right now to a certain extent. I mean, 85 percent of the season has tossed a few things, and uh, you know now that uh, a lot of teams seem to be starting to pivot somewhat towards uh, getting prepped for uh, for the 2021 season. There's a you know a little bit of stuff that we can look forward to. So, you know, so far so far so good. I mean, at this rate, uh, we'll all be out of things to talk about by June, and then we'll see what happens. Well, hopefully by June we have uh, news that uh, training camp will be starting and uh, the season will be uh, resuming sometime in July, right? That's that's what uh, we're crossing our fingers for. That'll be nice, and then you know, you know, most of us are working remotely anyway, so you know, worst case we can you know figure out some sort of a biodome structure inside the bowels of a saddle dome, and you know, we'll we'll figure something out, right? We'll get creative. Well, my, my, my guess is that if they do come back, they'll be playing games in, like, Saskatchewan or, or Manitoba or something like that. So we'll all be watching the games on TV anyway. It'll probably be, like, remote broadcast crews and that type of stuff. And then uh, we'll all be reacting from back here. That's, that's my best guess as to how the NHL will resume if they're able to resume. Yeah, and honestly, I think, uh, I, think I speak for everybody when I say that's, that's better than nothing. If there's a way they can do it that is uh, – safe for everyone and gives us all something to talk about because i think you know i think a lot of folks myself included you know we're all getting a little bit stir crazy i mean you know it's uh i think we're what six weeks into this thing and who knows when life will return to what we think is normal so yeah it's uh i think we're all gonna i think we've all been uh as a group uh, as a as a city as a province etc fairly flexible and i think we're gonna have to continue to be flexible but on another level, it's kind of exciting because, you know, the the world we're going to return to is going to be a little bit different. We're all going to be learning new things and sort of, you know, out of our comfort zone a bit. I don't know if that's exciting or terrifying. Depends on depends on your personality. For Pike, that is exciting. For Steinberg, I don't know. I, that's a little bit more terrifying. Yeah, it can be both. I guess. Maybe. Hopefully it's more exciting than terrifying. Uh, where are you on your uh, Marvel watching journey? Uh, what did I watch yesterday? I watched, uh, I rewatched uh, Winter Soldier yesterday. I love Winter Soldier. It's such a good movie. That's one of the best ones, no doubt. That's like it is one of the, the, uh, it's one of the best that's in, like, ones. The elite and like group. I think up until Winter Soldier, like up up until that point, they had sort of been doing movies that were just pure comic book movies. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean. You know, they can you can do a lot within that genre, but I think uh, when they you know when they decided to do Winter Soldier, they went they strongly lead into sort of like the spy thriller genre, and it was like I think they nailed it, and I think the fact they were able to do that really well allowed them to get weird with some of the movies they did later on, because you know I think it allowed them to really lean into like sort of like the uh, you know the the teen romance comedy stuff for the Spider-Man movies and lean in a bit more on the sci-fi stuff with like Thor Ragnarok and, you know, really do a lot of crazy things with, uh, with Black Panther. They probably wouldn't have had the confidence to do beforehand. I would say of my, my, like if there's like a, an elite Mount Rushmore of the MCU movies so far, I would say 
Winter Soldier has to be there. Um, Infinity War has to be there, I think. I've got Black Panther. I've got Thor Ragnarok. And there's probably one more that I could put in there as, as kind of my Mount Rushmore of the Marvel movies to this point. Definitely, definitely Winter Soldier would be one of them, though. Yeah, especially just the idea of, you know, they were able to... Like, I just think it's kind of cool. They were able to tell the, the story of him. You know, they were able to sort of get into the the trauma of, you know, war. And also, the he's from the 40s and doesn't understand the modern world. And also, the you know, the all the spy thriller stuff. So they a lot of movies don't do one of those things well, let alone two or three at once. So very impressive. And I think, the, the, you know, the, you mentioned Infinity War. The, the, the Russo brothers did Winter Soldier. That was their first Marvel movie. And because they did that so well, yep. they got, you know, the gig for, uh, for Infinity War. And I think it spoke to their ability to juggle a lot of things. Well, they did, they did Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame after Winter Soldier, and all four of them were pretty darn good. Uh, somebody says Civil War should be on that uh, Mount Rushmore, and somebody says Iron Man, the first Iron Man should be. I can get behind the first Iron Man just because uh, it started the whole thing. Ryan Pikes with us from FlamesNation.ca. Uh, so over at Flames Nation, you're counting down the top 40 Flames of all time. This is the 40th year of the team in the city of Calgary, so you're counting down the top 40 Flames, hey? Yeah, and uh, number one will be unveiled on May 21st, which will be the actual 40th uh, anniversary of the Flames announcing that they're moving to Calgary. Ooh, look at that timing. You uh, you planned that one, didn't you? I planned I can't say I planned it amazingly well, but I planned it as well as I could, considering that it came to me as I was walking to pick up Chinese food. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, on Flames Radio, we've been doing Flames 40 after 40 since the beginning of the year and we've been doing a similar thing we haven't been counting them down uh but we have been profiling the 40 best calgary flames of all time so uh i'm going to say that we're your motivation for this where are you right uh where are you right now in your countdown well today we did two uh the, the number 33 entry is Corey snowman who i think is you know low-key one of the best draft picks in flames history uh he came at a time in he was drafted in 92 during that span, the Flames were, in a word, garbage at drafting the first round. And some of it wasn't just their fault. I mean, sometimes you just pick the wrong guy and, you know, your your process is flawed. Sometimes you pick the right guy and then weird stuff happens. I mean, you know, in, in, I believe in the eight, it was 80, 87, I believe, they grabbed uh, Brian D.C., who decided to play a different sport. I believe they're picking – no, no, 88 was Brian D.C. 87 was George Palawa, who I believe passed away – like two weeks after he was drafted in a, in a tragic car accident, uh, you know, he, by all accounts, you know, George Palawa was going to be a player. He was built like a, you know, brick house and he could skate and he could do a lot of things. And it was, you know, absolutely tragic. And one of the, you know, the weirder, most sad parts of Flames history that he didn't get a chance to show anything after he got drafted. Uh, but then they had, you know, they got Jesper Matson in, in 93. He didn't really turn anything you know, Rico Fata famously struggled with consistency and in injuries. So if you look at the, the late 80s, early 90s drafting, realistically, you know, the Flames didn't really turn a drafting round consistently in the early rounds until about 2014 or 2013. But Corey Stillman is sort of, you know, he stands out because he was a guy they picked and went, man, we hope this guy will be good. And as a 21-year-old, he made the team. And he was just a consistently good player for years and years and years. And then 
they flipped him and turned him into Craig Conroy. So he was a productive member of the team for years and years, one of their most productive, most consistent players. And then he turned into, you know, a guy who's probably, I don't know if Corey still, I don't know if you'd say Craig Conroy is a tippity top all time great. Sorry, Craig. Uh, but he's arguably right in the tier below, right? Like he's one of the more well known, prominent members of the organization for years and years and years. And that's just smart asset management. And if you look at the, the rest of the stuff the Flames were able to do, you know, Corey Stillman, you know, left the Flames, went on to win two Stanley Cups. So in terms of his inter- entire development, I don't think, you know, Stillman or any of the teams that had him would really complain too much about how he, w- he was. And, you know, unless you're drafting first overall, you're probably not going to get a slam dunk amazing player. So when you're drafting, you know, in the, the you know, mid third of a draft that probably wasn't, you know, chock full of great players, getting a guy who plays a thousand games and gets uh, two Stanley Cups is pretty good. So that's going on at flamesnation.ca right now. Pike's counting down the top 40 in Flames history in the 40th year of the team here in Calgary. You're also doing some prep for the 2020 draft. Tell us about to how your prep's coming for that. Uh, later this week, I'm going to be looking at the, uh, the, the North American skaters from the Western League below 30. So basically any Western League ranked players that could conceivably go in the first round. And the short answer is, there's a lot of them, and they're quite, quite good. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't start off by just raving about uh, Caden Gooley from Prince Albert and uh, Braden Schneider from Brandon. They are the, the top two defensemen in the Western League uh, draft class. And if you came to me and you said, oh, man, I, I love Caden Gooley's offensive upside. He's so poised at the puck in the offensive zone. He's dynamic. He's energetic. He's one of those guys that can break open a game. I want to take him first, I'd say, yeah, that'd be a good idea. And if you come to me and say, well, I don't know. I mean, Brayden Schneider is great in all three zones, and you never really notice him because he's so composed and so good at everything. Uh, you know, he Brayden Schneider doesn't have the same flash as Caden Gooley, but, you know, you can throw him out to kill penalties. You can throw him out against, uh, you know, the top lines of the other team to shut them down. He's one of those guys you, you might not, you know, you probably could watch him for 30 minutes a night, and he might not wow you with any, you know, sweet dangles or a booming shot or any kind of one jaw-dropping play. But if you're looking at your notes at the end of the night, you have probably a half page of, oh, well, that's kind of smart. You know, smart reads, smart body positioning, just little things that he does well to really add up to be a really good game-managing player. So those, as you can tell, probably my two favorite players in the dub this year in terms of draft-eligible guys. But, you know, th- this is a really good high-end draft class for the dub in terms of there's a lot of different players who do a lot of really good things really well and you know there's here's an example Uh, players and uh, people from who cover the dub like myself have been drooling utterly drooling about the play of Seth Jarvis all year Um, I did a uh, I did color for the the first Hitman game when Portland came through in September and at the time I was just you know, ranting and raving about Seth Jarvis because he was just, you know, he was everywhere. And he did so many smart things. He's, he's, uh, he had, I think, 98 points this year, and he never went longer than two games without a point. That's insane for a guy who was 17 years old for most of the season. Most, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of 21 year olds who go longer than two games without a point. You know, he, 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 he's not huge, but he's just insanely, insanely, insanely smart and good at everything. So, those are the three guys I'm going to rant and rave most about. But 
there's there's a lot of everything from the dub this year and you know those are the kind of things we'll be uh waxing poetic about uh, as we get closer and closer and closer to the whenever the draft is yeah whenever the draft is uh speaking of drafts um from prior drafts you uh you were able to get a little clarity on what might be the circumstance for uh, Flames pick Emilio Peterson next season. What could you find out there? Well, we uh, we chatted with uh, with Brad for Living. He did a, a nice little uh, little chat with the local media last week. And as of now, officially, uh, the Flames have not been officially told that Emilio is going back for his junior year. That said, uh, they're talking this week. Uh, we talked to Brad last week. He said. The plan has been that he's probably going to go back. The you know he's played two years in, in college. He's been really really good for two years in college, and I think the thought process is probably much like it was with a lot of these guys, where you want to give him a chance to be dominant in college, so he can sort of come off like an you know an overwhelming high and go to go play pro off of that. Uh, especially you know I think the circumstances this year just. Not having the playoffs, not having the NCAA tournament, not really being able to get a chance to win a national championship on a team that had legitimate national championship aspirations is probably something that, from a from a player perspective, you probably want to go back to to finish off. I mean, Johnny Gaudreau got back, managed to win a national championship. Uh, so did uh, you know, Mark Jankowski Mark wanted to go back to win a national championship, and that's why he stayed in for as long as he did in college. So I think you want to give the guys a chance to do what they want to do at that level. And I think from a developmental standpoint, I mean, he's not big, so you probably want to give him another year in the gym to sort of bulk up a little bit and figure things out. But it sounds like he's going back for, for his junior year, and we should probably get official word from either Denver or uh, or the Flames probably in a week or so just confirming what the plan is for him next year. But more than likely he'll be going back to college. With Ryan Pike of FlamesNation.ca, he joins us Mondays here on Pinder and Steinberg, and uh, you've been doing a little digging. One of the uh, traditions of the NHL season around these parts is the Penticton Young Stars Classic. Now, it's not every single year, but most years in September. We're talking about uh, seeing some of the top prospects of the Flames, Canucks, Jets, and Oilers in Penticton. What have you been able to find out about the uh, status of this year's Young Stars Classic, knowing that we're very much in a holding pattern in this world? Uh, I think very, very much that. Uh, as of right now, the, the word from the, from the organizer of the tournament is, as of right now, it's on. That said, we don't know when the draft is. We don't know when the regular season will start next year. So I think as we move forward and it becomes clearer in terms of, you know, the NHL scheduling, if there's going to be any kind of restrictions on to who can go where and do what, and, you know, are we going to have fans? Are we not going to have, you know, I think as we get closer to the September date for that tournament, my guess is be probably in the summertime. We'll have a better idea of what the timelines are for that. Um, As of now, it's still scheduled for mid-September in Penticton. I would expect that to change, but I don't know how much we could expect it to change until we get a better sense of what the critical dates are going to be for the IHL calendar, both this summer and heading into next season. And uh, finally, it sounds like uh, anything Hockey Hall of Fame, that's uh, that's going to stay as planned, and, and we're going to get announcements sometimes in June about who will be part of the class of 2020. That's what it sounds like. Uh, for, for those of you who are curious, um, typically speaking, most of the stuff in the hockey world sort of flexes around the NHL draft date. So 
you know, uh, the bio calendar is set relative to the draft date. And, you know, free agency is a week after the draft. Restricted free agency qualifying offers are the Monday after the draft. Uh, and typically the week after the draft, we find out uh, who the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, nominees are for the, next, for the coming year and who gets uh, who's going to the Hall. So in the before times, the expectation was we would be getting word officially in uh, in late June that Jerome McGinley would be in this year's Hockey Hall of Fame class. He's this is the first year he's eligible. And so I know a lot of folks uh, around these parts, media and otherwise, are you know, trying to solidify our calendars for the summer and fall to figure out what that will be like. Uh, and as of right now, much like everything else, there's sort of been a holding pattern. They haven't really said, yay, we're changing it. But I imagine, depending on how other things go, maybe there's some flex. But as of now, uh, it's still June, um, maybe June uh, announcements and then November inductions. But much like everything else, I think that's sort of written in pencil rather than in pen this year. Right. And uh, I'd be very curious to see uh, if Jerome McGinley, for me, he's a first ballot guy. Uh, we'll see if that's the way it ends up going. I mean, if I think you and I both know a few people on the Hall of Fame committee, and I don't think it's hard to imagine him having a lot of strong support in, in the room when they have the discussion or in Zoom or Skype or whatever, whatever mode uh, those conversations have. I can't imagine he wouldn't be brought up a lot and brought up very positively, but you know, right. until they have the meeting, until they say they, you don't really know, right? I believe the guy who voiced his uh, tribute video during his Jersey retirement is uh, on the committee right now in, uh, in Lanny McDonald. So, yeah, I think you'd have some support there to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, good stuff, Pike. We'll do it again next week. Stay safe, pal. Yeah, stay sane, buddy. Yeah, that's also something that I need to do. It's Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Quick segment here as we uh, welcome you back to the program. We got Wild Card Fun. Wednesday at the top. Um, and then uh, in the 4 o'clock hour, prior to In Conversation, we'll hear from Elliot Friedman, uh, and uh, we'll set you up for In Conversation and uh, a fun Jays game tonight. Uh, on In Conversation with Ron McClain tonight, 5 o'clock, we'll hear from a couple of Canadian Olympians. Um, Emily Clark of the University of Wisconsin and Canada's national women's hockey team. And Mark McMorris, two-time Olympic medalist snowboarder, will join Ron McClain. That's coming up at 5 o'clock. I do know this. I don't know a whole lot about Mark McMorris, uh, but I do know that there are uh, a number of uh, the ladies at our radio station, the uh, promotions group, uh, have a giant Mm. crush on him. So that's all I know about Mark McMorris. So apparently he's... uh, Pretty good-looking dude. Uh, he's coming up uh, as part of In Conversation as well. Now, is he a Sasker, or am I confusing him with somebody else? I believe he is. So I think we chatted with him way back in the day. But, uh, yeah, he's right. a Regina yeah. boy. I, and, okay, well, that's good for him uh, and good for the promotion staff for having good taste. Like You can do worse than a Canadian Olympian, right? Huh? Agreed. Huh? I'll, I'll yeah. take I'm, – I'm, I'm fine with that. 
Uh, and then our Jays game tonight. Um, so following the Flames, uh, sorry, following in conversation tonight, we will have uh, some Blue Jays action for you. Uh, this one goes back to May 6th of 2013. We're doing comeback week for the Blue Jays all week long. And uh, this is a Blue Jays comeback win over the Tampa Bay Rays from May 6th of 2013. Uh, J.P. Aaron Sibia is the hero Ooh. in this one. So that's coming up uh, after In Conversation with Ron McClain. And if there's ever, like, a closer that you want to see blow a lead, like, I, I don't know whether it's just me or not, but Fernando Rodney is absolutely that guy. Like, the hat to the side, all kinds of attitude. Like, I loved watching that guy get hit. And I don't know whether he's a nice guy or a jerk. I have no idea. But anytime I saw Rodney pitch, I'm like, oh, please blow this save. Please. And, you know, I'm not – a stickler for how people should wear their hats, but there was just something about him where I'm like, yes, crush this fool. So yeah, we get to watch that tonight. So that's what's coming up on our radio station this evening. Uh, comeback week for the Blue Jays. We've also got some Flames games for you uh, throughout the evening. We're going back in time and playing some. Uh, these are more in, in recent vintage. Uh, Patty Dumas and I went through and uh, we each chose a few and you know, we had to be able to go find them archived and that type of stuff, so didn't have the best selection. But, you know, there is a couple of comebacks against Colorado that we're going to play. Uh, oh, my goodness. Season. I had a couple of Last year. Yes. Yeah. A, a season ago, it was either November 1st or December 1st. It was the first of the month, and it was the one where Mike Smith couldn't make a save, but it didn't matter, and they scored, I think, four or five in the third period alone to win, what, like 6-5? It was crazy. Well, we also, I know one of them is going to be that Flyers comeback game. Remember that one? Oh, yes, uh, in Calgary, in the shootout. It was overtime, I believe. Matthew Kachuk won in overtime. But they they scored, what, two, three late? Too late when the final 70 seconds they scored. Um, And uh, they they ended up beating the Flyers in overtime. It was nuts. One of the craziest games that I could remember. That's going to be one of our uh, classic Flames games on our rewind. So, yeah, we got Jays. We got Flames this week. Um, But uh, tonight, following the Blue Jays and the Rays, we've got game six of the... 2004 Stanley Cup Finals. So that'll take us to tomorrow, Game 6 tonight, Game 7 tomorrow. So uh, that's what we got coming up tonight on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I remember that uh, that Philly comeback because I was in the basement of Greta Bar playing Golden Tee with a buddy who happens to be a huge Flames fan. And we looked at the score and how much time was left. And like, yeah, this thing's over. And then it was like, oh, no, here we go. Oh, no. And then sure enough, crowds had gathered around the TV for overtime. That uh, That was a fun one. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have some fun this week on the on the rewinds, to be sure. Okay, Patty, Wild Card Wednesday coming Do back. It. You ready to creep people out or what? I'm ready to rock and roll. I came up with a couple of uh, – I came up with a really good one over the weekend. that I'm, I don't know if we'll get to it today, but I got a new one in the coffer that I'm looking forward to. So, yeah, Wild okay, Card Wednesday is next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. For Wild Card Wednesday, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, gentlemen, let's rock and roll. Final hour of the program, top of the hour. We're going to uh, check in with Ron McClain for In Conversation, and immediately following that, Blue Jays and Rays, little rewind game from May 6th of 2013. We're calling this Comeback Week 
for the Toronto Blue Jays. This one, May 2013, a comeback win over the Rays. J.P. Aaron Sibia is the hero. But right now, it's time for Wild Card Wednesday. we got uh, Logan Gordon back at the studio. we got Ryan Pike at his place. My name is Pat Steinberg here nope. at my place. No, we've got our... Not have, no, no, no. What did I say? You just Pike. It is not Pinder. Pike and Steinberg. It is oh. Pinder. And Steinberg. Wishful thinking, let me tell you. Wishful thinking. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it's Pinder, not Pike. It was a Freudian. You know slip. what? Uh, we got Ryan. It might Pinder not be that far place. off. You know, post-pandemic, <laughs> who knows what the station looks like? I, we might have a, a an arts and culture or like a political news roundup show with Pike and Steinberg not far away down in the future. Uh, it's not crazy. Uh Pinder is at Pinder's place. Steinberg is here at my place. And uh, I don't like talking about myself in the third person, so I apologize for that. And uh, Logan Gordon at the uh, Sportsnet 960 studios. So let's get to it. Uh, we got our five categories in our virtual Wild Card Wednesday casino, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, wild card. They will uh, show up on a giant slot machine that we all take a pull on and ask a question. Logan's been leading us off and has been doing an outstanding job. So, Logo, let's keep the batting order going. You've got our first poll today. Career. All right, gentlemen, uh, this question is, uh, you get to be the new program director at any of the other stations in our building, which station Ooh. are you taking over and why? I'm not touching news with like a 40-foot pole. That's horrifying. No way, Jose. Yeah, well, I'm, um, I want to mention just with that at 660 that they've got a real stupid uh, group chat going on to everyone <laughs> oh, do they? signed in on Burley right now that I could not care less about. Oh, no. If I yeah. go look. Yeah, there it is. It's flashing right now. Let me, uh, let me read you some there, of the... No, don't, please. No, no, please. One's no, making please. meat jokes, meat puns or something like that, and I'm just I'm not for it. <laughs> funny <laughs> funny uh, emojis. Yeah, get out of here. X. I wish I could leave the conversation and do so loudly, but unfortunately I can't. Um, so it has to be a radio station go... for clarification? We can't yes. go to the TV station? Nope. Or can we? What are our options nope. here? No, just a radio station. Ugh. Well, basically, it comes down to uh, CHFM or or Jack. Um, I, I'm gonna. I I don't. I don't know if I could handle some of the the Jack FM um, music selections. Like there's like they play U2 there. And like, yeah, but yeah. you're the <laughs> you're the PD man. You can take this where you want to if you so well, choose. Well, but right? I'm gonna stick. You can have a no U2 policy. I think I would go with CHFM. They're, I believe in the radio biz. Kershaw, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in the radio biz. Uh, they are a, a hot AC station, so somewhere between adult contemporary and top 40, so hot AC. So they play, you know, they, they play the, the Michael Buble, and they, they play a little bit of the um, that, that type of AC stuff. But then they also, there's Maroon 5, or they'll put out a little Zed or something. Like they'll play new stuff. But a little bit later on, um, I, I'm going to go with uh, with CHFM. I feel like I could push across some of my uh, um, some of my kind of um, more bubblegum inspired musical tastes. So I, I'm going to go with CHFM. Plus my uh, my good pal Sasha works there, so I'd get to work with Sasha. So I'll I'll uh, I'll go with that as my answer. 
Well, it's a shame that Logan asked the question. He's going to lose his, lose his spot as, as leadoff hitter in the lineup as a result of it, what? I'm afraid. Wow. Just a horrible question. And uh, I'm going to have to. Logan, are you hearing this? This is unbelievable. Jack FM, just because uh, our boy Maddie Rose is yourself there. Support yourself or defend yourself. Uh, well, look, it's wonderful, but just a horrible wildcard Wednesday question. Just not good at all. And uh, Matty Rose. You know Matty Rose? And uh, if there's a station that could be all about, you know, like growing a Fu Manchu during a pandemic, that's Jack. So I got to take Jack. Well, first of all, Logan, just, you have an opportunity to rebut here. Yeah, yeah like I'm. The, this is by far the worst category that we get. And I get it. You get a total chance to to freely and openly go to any other station in the building and put your fingerprints on it. And we, you know, we knock on Kirsch all the time for his, you know, some of his PD choices. But, you know, I give you guys the opportunity to have some freedom at your other hand. You go, ah, eh, I guess this, or I guess that. You had free autonomy, and the question can only be as good as some of the answers, I feel. So I don't I don't feel that I... Uh, dropped the ball with that lead off at all i feel like i was underwhelmed by my uh, constituents answers we're playing this game under protest and it'll be uh, ruled on by the league following uh, wildcard wednesday's conclusion i think today. you're being we'll too see hard what happens with the batting order tomorrow wow this know. coming from the guy uh, that gave that. us gum or mints <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Sorry. Just, uh, yeah. Well, uh, look, I wasn't hitting leadoff that course, day, was the, I? Uh, the correct answer <laughs> is uh, to go to Jack FM uh, and have some fun with our boy, Matty Rose. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. uh, format, a lot freer. The music, I feel, much more our style. Uh, and you can have some fun with some of the stuff Jack does, some of their promotions. You can call some of them silly or whatever, but I think some of them are, are pretty fun and cool and stuff. And I feel like you can have a good time with that uh, and none of us with any interest of going anywhere near the uh, newsroom. No, the news station can straight no, beat it. No. Yeah, news can go away. All right. Well, I didn't think it was that bad. Um, so I'm going to take a good lead off from Logan, and I'm ready to go with my uh, with my spin. Let's rock and roll. Pinder's a jerk. Wild card. Uh, here's a fun one, gentlemen. Um we all are active on social media. What is your most used or favorite gift? Don't do it. Your oh, come on. Gift. I is have had yours now for like a month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Your go-to gift, your favorite gift on Twitter, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. What is it? Okay, so I'll start, and I'm gonna like l- like just bend it a little bit, because okay. memes are kind of like that sort of thing, right? Like a meme. I'll let I'll let memes in here too. That counts. Yeah. So the GIF is literally like the usually like two to five second clip that we see that continually plays over and over. It's funny, haha. You know, you can do sad, you can do happy, you can do the popcorn GIF, whatever. But the meme that's just crushing me for like the last two weeks, I cannot stop laughing. I was asked to leave the bedroom at 1.30 in the morning because I looked at my phone and I saw the meme again. And my wife was like, what are you doing, you a-hole? Get out of here. I'm trying to sleep. Uh, it's the Ghana says goodbye meme where the guys are carrying the casket. It's just absolutely hilarious. So the, the, 
the premise of the meme is this. Someone does something really, really stupid and is putting their life in jeopardy. And the moment where you find out whether they're going to live or die, like they fall off the cliff, they're walking through the busy street, something like that, it immediately cuts to these guys in Ghana dancing with a casket on their shoulders, wearing sunglasses, which apparently is a way in that culture you, you can send someone to the afterlife with a celebration. And it just cripples me every time I just get buckled and it's to this crazy dance music that keeps building up. I just, it, I cannot stop laughing. That meme is killing me. Okay, Logan? Uh, there's a there's a lot. Like This is a tough question because you can almost go anywhere. And depending on the topic, there's usually a few that are, are pretty good. The the biggest, the best ones that I've seen, I'm a big fan of any. Like, there's a ton you can do with Ron Burgundy. The the boy that escalated quickly one is a is a that classic on Twitter because there's so much uh, hate and vitriol that usually gets thrown around. Um, and then there was the one. I don't know if I ever told you this story, Pat or not, but the one that uh, I've loved on social media the best is i'm sure both of you ryan knows this story but uh darren ravel on twitter he used to be on uh -huh. e espn and uh he, he does a bunch of he's really kind of a numbers guy and business side guy on espn and uh he got absolutely roasted on twitter by the tennessee titans uh i believe two seasons ago when derrick henry had that stupid like 92 yard rush against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, and he broke like five tackles on the way there. And he tweeted out something about, uh, you know, don't call that the greatest run of all time. If anything, call it the worst tackling job of all time. And the Titans clapped back with a just <laughs> straight up shut up nerd at him. And it was so good. There was Shut so, up, many, nerd. so many good gifts and so many things. I think the top one underneath it with like 29,000 likes was like, uh, the meme of the kids going, hey, you guys want to see a dead body? And then the next one had someone with Rovell's face photoshopped over the body in the ditch. It was so funny, uh, and it kills me every time. So anything like that, there's so many good ones, though. Shut up, nerd. Shut up, nerd. The, the first one is it's one of the most bizarre, unexplainable gifts. I don't know the genesis of it. I don't know how it became a gif. Um, I said gif, sorry. Uh, gif. Uh, it's just a, a a woman with a bunch of hot dogs thrown in her face. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is about that. Stupid, a lot of that. That stupid gif it gets me every time. So there's She's that sleeping. one. She's like half asleep, and, and then all of a sudden a bunch of hot dogs are thrown at her, and she's like, what? "So that one gets me every time." And the second one, oh, the second one, I, I I use it as much as I possibly can. But it um, it's Tom DeLonge, formerly of Blink One Eighty Two, uh, in the movie in the uh, music video for uh, First Date, uh, which is uh, one of the iconic songs off of the Take Off Your Pants and Jacket album. Um, but uh, in the video Jeez. for First Date, uh, it's the it's the video um, where they're at an amusement park or a water slide park, and he's got the this like completely stunned look, and he looks around and he mouths, "What the." And it's just the greatest gift to use when you don't know what's going on. So, uh, uh, yeah, those are the two that, uh, that get me every time. And you just sent me this stupid gift. <laughs> <laughs> There's another great one that's Bruce Boudreaux on the bench. And I think he's coach of, like, the Ducks or the Wild. I can't recall which. 
but he leans his head back and just gives a huge F-bomb, and there's no mistaking what he's saying. And then it's captioned, it says, dang. <laughs> so I always love that one. <laughs> I just responded to you with uh, the one that I love from the Blink-182 video. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Uh, I guess I'm yep. up. Gifts kill me. Yep, it's uh, Pinder with the last spin. Let's rock and roll. Pop culture. Well, that was my gift meme question. Damn it. Um, I don't like that. Did you go wild card for that, Pat? I did, yep. Oh, okay, I'm going to do my wild card then. Is that all right? Well, well. Yeah, sure. There's no rules. Okay, so this this is definitely not pop culture, but you stole mine, so I've at least got an excuse. And I'm probably staying three in the lineup after this kind of activity, but what the heck. Um, the question is, who are you missing? And imagine you find a box full of biohazard suits in your basement and you've got a cooler, a cold beer you can roll anywhere in public because you're wearing the biohazard suits. Who are you going to grab and have beers with? Whew. So how, like, how many people do I get to choose? Well, you know, I don't know how big the box is in your basement or your storage in your condo. Maybe it's two, maybe it's one, maybe it's a dozen. But uh, who are you thinking about that you wish you could just get together and have a beer with? Well, I mean, there's my uh, my best friend, the degenerate, my two best friends. One of them, the degenerate who works at 660 News. So I'd have to go for beers with, with old Mark Strashik over at 660 News. Um, my buddy Chris and his wife. Um, those would probably, those would probably be, uh, probably be it. Um, I'd have to go see them first in the, the hazmat suit. Um, and you know, maybe my brother in, uh, maybe my brother in, in Vancouver, but that's a long way to go. So yeah, I'd say, uh, I'd say those two guys specifically just because, you know, he's, he's starting to Jones from not being able to sit at a bar. Uh, I would have to go with, uh, <laughs> Mark from uh, 660 news as, as the first guy that I would, uh, roll up to. All right. Yeah, uh, family excluded my uh, best friend for since like grade two of elementary school. We've spent pretty much every birthday of ours together for I think close to twenty years now. Uh, in April, we had to miss uh, his birthday here a few weeks ago, so uh, that was a bummer. We did do some uh, house party stuff, and you know, tried to make it as special a day as we could. But uh, that was the first one we missed in a very long time where we didn't go out and do something. So I would probably have to say uh, my best buddy, Luke, I'd have to go out and uh, crush a few beers with him for sure uh, and make up for lost time and missing the birthday. Okay, so here's my uh, my theory. I stumbled into my basement. I don't find one. I find three boxes of biohazard suits, just enough for every GM in my fantasy hockey league. We've got this chat where we just chirp the crap out of each other all day long, every day. And to get those guys in person for a pint in biohazard suits or five or six. And, uh, you know, to be able to shoot the Shiza, so to speak, would, would just be awesome. And then my other shout out would be to my, my best man and my best buddy since elementary school. His birthday's coming up mid-May. So that would, if we don't get out by then, that would be another use of it for sure. Say shoot the shirt. That also works. Uh, Shiza for radio. Yeah. Uh, shoot shirt. the Shiza. I don't know. Shoot the shirt. Shoot the yeah, shirt German. works as well. Uh, all right, gentlemen. There's another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960. The fan. Couple of uh, 
nominations on the text line at 960-960 of uh, other good gifts to use. Uh, Mike writes, Homer's Terminator gift where he slowly exits through a bush is absolute gold. That's a, that's a good one. That's always, uh, there's always very good reasons to use that one. Um, I'm huge on Shaq and his friends dancing to different songs on Facebook. Can't stop watching. That comes from Shoobs. Is that a GIF or is that a video? There is a That would be a meme, probably. That would be a meme, meme. perhaps. Um, The correct answer is any quote from Michael Scott in GIF form. Uh, There are some good ones. Like there's the no one from when he's talking about Toby. The no one from Michael Scott is, is very, very strong. I don't know if there's any other... Really strong Michael Scott gifts that I like, though. Um, the Alonzo Morning Disappointment to Acceptance gift is the best. I don't know if I've seen that one. Let's <laughs> go take Alonzo Morning Disappointment. He's on the bench, and I think he's in a tracksuit. If I'm correct. Let's see what I can do here. Oh, yeah, I know this one. Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. Disappointment to Acceptance. It's like... Yeah, this is happening. Yeah, that one's a good one. Um, There's a couple. Larry David in uh, in <clears throat> the Curb Your Enthusiasm one where he's kind of waiting. Pretty, day, pretty, pretty good. And then I, I I love absolutely love the Trump debate face where it morphs into like eight different pouty looks within like ten seconds. That one always kills me. That's a good one too. Uh, good stuff on wild card wednesday today quick segment next elliot friedman before the top of the hour and at five o'clock in conversation with ron mcclain it's pinder and steinberg happy monday on sportsnet 960 the fan calgary guys talking calgary sports pinder and steinberg are only on sportsnet 960 the fan Pat's not a player. He just runs a lot. Uh, welcome back. Pandemic yeah. radio continues. Hates every How's second. the running going? I've, uh, I've used to one. be new. What's a good one? Tell, give me details. How long are you running? Are you going nonstop? Are you timing yourself? How many minutes of kilometer? What's happening? I'm not really doing any timing or anything like that. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm tracking my steps. I got about, did about a, I don't know, 12,000 step run, um, which is, I want to say about, I have no idea how many kilometers that is, um, but it's about half an hour. Um, So I am, I hate it though. I just hate every second of it. And uh, (laughs) at least I think my body's starting to acclimate a little bit so that I'm not gassing. I just, for whatever reason, my cardio is better than it ever has been at any point in my life. And yet for whatever reason, running always gets me um so my cardio is starting to adjust to running so I, it's getting better but i still hate every second of it i've been going pretty much every other day like three a week and i usually miss a day once and i, I my, my happy place is like 5k that's where i can i haven't really pushed it beyond that yet but i can give her a good go for 5k after that, I, my pace just drops like a rock, and I'm like, why am I doing this? So, but I used to be you. I used to hate it. I, anything more than like two clicks, I used to drive me nuts. Uh, well, are you listening to music? Do you listen to a podcast? It. What are you doing? I've got, I've got music on. Uh, most recently, I've been uh, rocking some late 90s to like 2010 pop punk music. That's been what I've been running to. It's actually helped uh, mm-hmm. with the mindset, yeah. so that's yeah. helped. I don't mind running when I'm doing it 
at Orange Theory Fitness. Like I enjoy doing <laughs> that uh, because you got somebody screaming at you. You've got other people that are pushing you beside you, and the, the intervals really help. Like you go from going like sprinting to now you're running to now you're walking to now you're jogging. Like it's it's uh, it, the intervals help for that for that. And I've tried to do that while I'm running. I've even downloaded similar programs that have got intervals. It just uh, I, I can never really um, make it work. So uh, I'm I'm continuing to do mental gymnastics to try and make it so that I enjoy running because I'm not expecting gyms to be open until sometime in May at the very earliest. Yeah, well, I think that would be very welcome for people. If May was a date that things could get back to opening, I'd be think ahead of yeah. some people's projections okay good stuff patty uh we'll come back we've got elliot friedman a reminder in conversation tonight ron mcclain with a pair of canadian olympians blue jays pregame will be followed by a uh, jays rays comeback from 2013 where jp aaron Sebia ruins uh francisco uh, not francisco uh rodney's fernando rodney's fernando uh, rodney. yeah which uh i'm i'm for i'm all for we'll be back tomorrow by the way patty uh, Jordan Leopold going to come by and tell us some 04 yeah. stories tomorrow, which uh, I, there's a few guys we've lost track of. Like, yes, we know Connie, we know Rhett, we know Kami, and a bunch of those other guys were around telling stories. But we're going to dig and find some some of the uh, the other names that haven't made Calgary home that uh, have some tales to tell, or at least that have uh, been out of the scene, out of media for a while. Yep, looking forward to it. Jordan Leopold, good talker, and was a pretty important part of that run to the 04 Stanley Cup Finals, too. Okay, we're coming back. NHL insider Elliot Friedman on the other side. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is your sports radio. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Streaming at sportsnet.ca slash 960. And always on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960, Calgary. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Mr. Friedman, another week in the pandemic. We need a uh, status update on your, what is it, 32,000-piece puzzle? How, how we doing? You know what? It's a big task, man. It is a big assignment. Like, So it comes in eight bags of 4,000 pieces, and we opened up the first Jeez. bag, and we're starting to like figure out I mean, you, you try anyone who does a puzzle, you know, you try to find the edges first, but it's not easy mm-hmm. to find all the edges. And then so you start looking at all the pieces that are the same color. And basically what the puzzle is, is it's a, um, it, it's a New York City skyline viewed from a balcony. So a lot of the, there's a lot of sky. There's a lot of similarly looking, similar looking buildings going to be a challenge so my sister is working on a three thousand piece one and i'm like you're crazy that's insane it's the whole dining room table you said 32 last week and i i was like it's elliot he's probably not wrong but i bet you he's wrong uh like that's that's insane like yeah it's massive eight bags of four thousand yeah eight (laughs) bags of four thousand pieces jeez And I, I didn't know this either, but the puzzle apparently retails for close to $500. My oh. sister-in-law got it at an auction for like 100 and she hadn't done it yet. And my wife was looking for puzzles, and she's, she said, well, why don't you try this one? So they dropped it off. And <laughs> we're kind of looking at it like, wow, this is uh, an enormous challenge. Enormous. 
So you and the wife are into it. Is your son into it, or is it mostly you? No, How do you buddy. split up the workload it's, here? It's the two of us. He's not remotely okay. interested. He, <laughs> yeah. He's waiting for the new uh, Mario Odyssey 3D to come out on the Switch. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my wife says, I can't even look at you doing the puzzle. I get stressed. You can't do puzzles yeah. around me, which I think is totally unfair, but mm-hmm. puzzles ain't for everyone. Um, They're for me. Let's and get... Those people are losers. Yeah. Who cares about that? <laughs> I'll tell her you said that. So uh, St. Louis Blues make some news last Thursday. They ink Marco Scandella to an extension after adding him in trade at the deadline. Uh, do we have any tea leaves to read regarding Alex Petrangelo or is, are these two things not related enough in the sense that they both can fit? I know money's an issue, but there are ways around it and there is uncertainty about the cap, but what does this mean for Petrangelo would probably be the, the really concise short question I should have asked. Well, the one thing here is that don't forget there's, there's one uh, significant difference between uh, between Alex Petrangelo and Marco Scandella. And that is that Marco Scandella is a left-hand shot, okay? So I think when, when you look at, like, Jay Bowmeister, he hasn't made any announcements, but, you know, I think it's unlikely he's going to play again, right? And if you look at his cap hit, it was, I think, $3.5 million. And Scandella's new deal just came in underneath that for term, so it's slightly underneath that. That says to me that Jay Bowmeister's money was going to Marco Scandella. That's kind of what we're looking at here. So I think the Petrangelo thing is a little bit different. I mean, the, the one complicating factor to all of this right now is that uh, we don't know what the cap's going to look like. I suspect it's going to be about the same, but nothing's done until it's done. Um, so I... I, I So I think that if you're the Blues and you're Petrangelo, you know there's going to be a bit more of a squeeze here just because of what's happened. But I don't necessarily think that – but I do think that Scandella was there to replace Bullmister, and he got Bullmister's salary slot. So with Petrangelo, is it safe to say that the Blues – are only going to bring them back on what we would end up calling a hometown discount? Or will Doug Armstrong, do you think, move somewhere close to market if he has to? I don't think he's willing to go to market. Um, you know, I don't think there's been a lot of uh, – hang on one sec, buddy. I don't think there's been a lot of dialogue on this one this year. I think there's been on-again and off-again negotiations. I, I believe that the Blues made it clear they were willing to go around ekman Larson. And Ekman Larson is eight times eight two five, and I think the Blues are maybe willing to go a little bit higher, you know, because he's their guy, he's their captain, they won the cup and everything. But I don't think they were willing to go into the nines or anything more than that. And that's kind of where they were stuck at this particular point in time. And you know, I, I just think right now, Ryan, um, you know, we don't know where this is going. And, you know, I spoke to Petrangelo a couple of weeks ago or via text, and he just said that, you know, you know, now is not really the time to worry about it too much. So I have a feeling we'll see this get sorted out one way or the other over time. But I think the Blues, at least their position in the past had been, we're willing to do OEL and maybe a little bit more, but we're not really looking to do more than that. Elliot Friedman joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
Mr. Friedman, a uh, number of questions about NHL defensemen for you today. Tell okay. us a, a little bit about how we got to finally a conclusion of the Winnipeg Jets and Dustin Bufflin saga, and now he is officially no longer a member of that team. How did we get to this point? Well, I think there were a couple of things that had to happen. Um, you know, like, uh, like I'd heard that this was going to happen a couple months ago, and I don't know if it was because there were other things going on. We had to go through the deadline. And um, I do know that both the league and the players association had to agree on language that um, would settle the um, grievance and that whatever was decided here would not affect any future grievances. That kind of happens too. And I'm not sure Pat, if it was simply a a situation where look, there's, there's more time to deal with things now. We can get around to deal with it. Um, I think that this was something that both sides realized uh, right around, if not after the trade deadline, was going to eventually get done. But, um, you know, I, I think the biggest question is, is he going to play again? And I thought Kevin Dayoff had a good co- quote in his conference call when he said that the only guy who knows that is Bufflin. And uh, he's not talking, at least not right now. I, I believe there's interest. I, I believe teams have reached out to ask what he's thinking, but I, I don't think anyone's going to know. And I don't think there's a chance he's going to play if he doesn't feel healthy. Like this was all about, he didn't feel healthy. His ankle didn't heal to his satisfaction and he just wasn't looking forward to playing and the amount he plays and the way he plays, if he was going to be in pain. So if he's not healthy, uh, I, I don't think he, there's any chance he's going to play. And if he is healthy, Pat, I don't know if we know the answer. Well, because I found the the quote interesting, where essentially he said that I just I don't have it in me right now to to be an NHL. Or it, so it all came down to to injuries and health, hey? Yes, um, you know I had heard rumors that maybe he wanted to be traded. Uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff in his conference call said that he, that, you know, so I guess the night that that Bufflin told. Shevel day off that he didn't want to play was the night before training camp, which I guess was September the 11th. And he said he met him again the next day and asked him, do you want to be traded? And Bufflin said it wasn't about that. He just didn't want to play. So I do think that I do like when I look back at the timeline, the one thing I really think that happened was when Bufflin left the jets at the end of last season, he wasn't healthy. He agreed that he signed the piece of paper that said he could play if the season started today. But I think he just kind of signed it as, ah, I'll be fine. I'll heal on the summer and I'll be ready to go at the beginning of next year. And it just didn't heal. And I think he lost his enthusiasm for that reason. I, I've, that's the story I was always told. And nothing I've heard since then has, has gotten me to say that that's wrong or inaccurate. The one thing I had heard possibly was that he wanted to be traded to play somewhere else. And Sheveldayoff said he asked Buffalo that face-to-face and was told that wasn't the case. Okay. Um, our colleague uh, Eric Engels had a piece on this over the weekend, but Andre Markov officially announcing his retirement. And, you know, it's been a little while since we've seen him as an impact NHLer, but I, I don't know if he necessarily gets appreciated as much outside of Montreal as perhaps he should, but it's a pretty good defenseman during his uh, pretty long and, and impressive career, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, he was a, 
he was a really good player. And uh, I actually liked it when Engels uh, did the piece about it. Um, he talked about guys who made a lot of money because of Markov and Sheldon Sore sent out a tweet where with a raised hand, which I, I thought was really funny. I thought that was pretty clever. Um, you know, Markov was a guy, you know, he, he didn't let a lot of people into his world. And I'll tell you this, like one of my, you know, great disappointments just as from a reporting point of view was that we were uh, about to do a big piece on him. And I, I must have been still at Hockey Night at this time. I don't think I was, the rights were over yet at Rogers. And the night before, like he was going to take us to some of those places he went to in Montreal. He finally agreed to do it. And we were really excited about, okay, like now we're going to find out what Markov does in Montreal because he was a pretty private guy. And the night before we were going to do it, he suffered a serious injury. I believe it was against Carolina. And that mm -hmm. ended the piece. And we never got an opportunity to reschedule it. Um, just a great passer, an unbelievable passer, uh, a really determined uh, player. Um, you know, Carey Price, the story that uh, we heard was that when Price was struggling and Halak was playing goal in the playoffs, some of the guys wanted to shoot on Price and he didn't have a great attitude and he left the ice early. And Markov went after him and said, no, you know, you get back out there. You're the guy who has to practice with people. Um, real professional guy. Um, um, you know, I, I think the, the end with him in Montreal um, – it wasn't easy for everyone involved. I don't think it was easy for him. I don't think it was easy for them. I think Markov wanted to go back and try back for them once more, but they didn't want to go down that road. Um, so that's unfortunate, but there's no question that at his peak, he was a really talented player and a really important player for that team. Um, and now I do have to, uh, cause last week you were on with us. I, I do have to hold you accountable for something. You, uh, came oh, on with I us and, and teased, well, you teased a, a big piece that you're coming up with an oral history, but you Ooh. wouldn't tell us what, but you did tease that, uh, yeah, you guys probably won't like it very much. You didn't really, <laughs> you probably should have sold it a little hot. You're doing an entire series on the 2011 Vancouver Canucks. I don't know if you can come on the station anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's it's a two-parter. The first part was out yesterday. The second part comes out uh, on uh, on Wednesday morning. Um, it wasn't expected to be. It was only supposed to be one part. Um, you know, it's their 50th anniversary, and they wanted to do a big piece on that team, and they offered me the option to do it, which I jumped at. Um, it was it was pretty massive, Pat. Um, my initial word count was 55,000, and we got it Oof. down to about we got it it's down to about. Yeah, I know. It's just, seriously, it, it ended up being about 30,000 words. And um, hang on one sec, big guy. I'm almost done. So um, we, you know, we basically I did 30 interviews, 19 hours of uh, interviews, and it just kept going. And, you know, like if you give me an assignment about 30 percent of the time, I'm going to do it really well. And this was one of those situations where I did it really well. Um you know, there was everybody talked except one person, um, and they were really good about talking about the team. and And I really liked that group. They were really. I know a lot of other people didn't like them, Pat, and I get that because they were cocky and they were brash. But dealing with them, the times I did was a real pleasure. I, I really liked it. And um, you know, probably 
the, the one thing, it's like it's the last time a Canadian team was close to winning the Cup. It, it was one of the best series I ever covered. That Vancouver-Boston series was really something. And um, I, my own bias, obviously I like part one. I think part two is better because it goes through the playoffs uh, and the emotions, okay. the ups and downs of Chicago, the ups of Nashville and San Jose, and then the ups and then very big downs of Boston and the legacy. And, um, you know, those guys were honest. They didn't, they didn't hide anything. And, you know, the one thing I'll tell you, Pat, at the beginning was the first few guys I interviewed, I was asking them very specific questions about the Boston series. And you could see how hard it was. Like it's been nine years and it hasn't gotten any easier on those guys. And I actually had to dial it back a little bit because I thought, um, I, I, I could sense how, I don't know if triggering is the right word, but just how hard mm-hmm. it was for them to be asked specific details of that series. So, I mean, I know you guys hate the Canucks, and I get it. If I was you, I'd hate them too. But I hope people <laughs> are entertained by it at least. Well, I will say this about that team. And I uh, I look back at that group and – that that was an elite hockey team. Like when you yeah. when you take into account what the Sedins were doing with Burroughs, how how elite a player Kessler was at that time, what Malhotra was doing with those defensive faceoffs, uh, Luongo and Net, that blue line, like they probably should have won the Stanley Cup that year, and, and we can say that now, and we love they didn't, but that team was the best team in hockey over eighty two plus however many they played in the playoffs. Like that, they, they really were the best team in the league, and and it really wasn't close. No, well, they're the they were the first team since the seventy eight Canadians to lead in goals for and goals against. They had wow. the number one power play. They had the number one penalty kill until late. They had a couple bad games late, and I think they finished tied for second. Um, they had uh, Ted Lindsay winner is. Most outstanding player voted by the players. That was Daniel Sedin. Kessler won the Selkie. Luongo was nominated for the Vesna. Vigno was nominated for the Jack Adams. They won the President's Trophy by, I think, 10 points. And, you know, they, and, you, know you think about it, they, that Chicago series, which was a great series, a real roller coaster, that one went seven. Then they beat Nashville in six, San Jose in five, and they were up 2 nothing on Boston before the wheels fell off. And, yeah, I think they were a hell of a team, but I don't want to take anything away from the Bruins. The Bruins deserved and earned the win in that series. Um, it was uh, it was pretty – like, it was it, – it was, I just remember that series and how – like, the guy who taught – the first guy I quote um, talking about that Stanley Cup final is, is Corey Schneider. And Corey Schneider just – and he goes, I wasn't – I barely even played, and I could feel the hate. And he said the level of hate that grew between the teams, the organizations, the fans, the media, he said it was one of those series. When you get to the Stanley Cup final, he said he imagined it was always supposed to be fun. And he said that was fun for everyone else but us. And uh, uh-huh. I remember covering it that series, and I'll tell you, Pat, it felt that way. Wow. Yeah. He's Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider, joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. So who didn't talk to you from the Canucks? There's a great follow-up, no? <laughs> yeah, the the only guy who didn't talk was um, was was Manny Malhotra, and I understand okay. that. That was a very traumatic year for him, obviously, and uh, 
um, you know, there's there's a, there's a little bit of a chapter on him, a section on him, I guess, and some other people talk glowingly about him, and I, I'm gonna uh, like Dan Hughes in particular, but I'll, I'll leave it to what it said. But you know, he's the one guy who didn't get back, and I mean, you got Ryan, like that was such a hard year for him. You totally understand. Yeah. No, I was expecting some uh, another layer of villain to like a Burroughs BX a Kessler no, type. But no, everybody that's, that's at, like we did. I think it was thirty <laughs> interviews, and I made thirty-one requests, and I got thirty people who said yes. Now, some people did take more convincing than others. Like sure. I and like I said, Ryan, I think I think there are some people who still are really. I don't know if scarred is the right word, but like that mm-hmm. that like the, the thing you get old when you get older. Uh, and you see teams close up, and I've covered a lot of these playoff series now. Man, if you care at all, and these guys do care, it absolutely sucks to lose. And the okay. farther you go, the more it sucks. Throw NHL insider Elliot Friedman. He joins us every Monday on Pinder and Steinberg. That'll do it for the program. Up next, in conversation with Ron McLean, couple of Canadian Olympians, hockey player Emily Clark uh, with the University of Wisconsin, and on top of that uh, with Team Canada at the Olympics, and Mark McMorris, who is a two-time Olympic medalist in snowboarding. That'll be Ron's. Those will be Ron's guests on In Conversation in just minutes. Thank you to all our guests, Elliot Friedman, Troy Stetcher of the Vancouver Canucks and Ryan Pike at Flames Nation. All those interviews up at uh, sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now. For Ryan Pinder and Logan Gordon, my name is Pat Steinberg. Enjoy in conversation. Enjoy our Blue Jays rewind and enjoy our Flames classic game as well. Game six of the Stanley Cup final between the Flames and Lightning a little bit later on tonight as well. All coming your way tonight. That'll do it for Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.